Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I'll try to be quick with my intro this week because I'm getting on a plane back to Australia tonight. My new tour, Free Will, starts in Adelaide on Monday, uh, Monday, March the 2nd. I'll be in Adelaide for two weeks doing my show, Free Will, every night. The first four nights are preview nights. Now, someone online said today, are they cheaper because they're not as funny? Maybe. <laughs> no, they're not as planned. Uh, for, for those of you who know uh, my work, you'll know that uh, before Christmas at the Sydney Opera House, the last couple of years, I've done a run of completely improvised shows called What You Talking About, Will, where I walk out on stage and I improvise an entire hour of stand-up comedy. Uh, that basically came out of uh, that when I first started tour, like I will do with Free Will, uh, a lot of the time I'm, you know, working the ideas out on stage and I enjoy that process so much that, you know, once the show sort of locks down, I, I miss it a little and that's why I started doing the improv shows. So uh, certainly those first four shows uh, will be uh, less tight. You'll be hearing some jokes at the same time as I hear those jokes, but I always think they're very fun shows and very exciting shows and they're certainly exciting for me and sometimes people like to come and see that process so the first four shows if you want to come and see me work out what free will is going to be all about uh adelaide fringe festival and then that uh of course the last uh couple of weeks so if you uh you know if, you, if you're not that sort of adventurous person maybe just come you know in the second week when i've got it locked down <laughs> uh, i know that some people like to come to both they might come early in the run and then come back and see what it becomes as well which is always fun anyway i'll be in adelaide doing that then a week at the brisbane comedy festival and then of course uh, a month at the melbourne International Comedy Festival doing my show Free Will. Our next guest, our guest today on Willosophy is also touring Australia. Her name is Jen Kirkman. If you've not come across Jen Kirkman before, then uh, you're in for an absolute treat. If you have, if you're familiar with her work, well, I don't need to tell you that you're in for a treat. Uh, She is a brilliant stand-up comedian. She's a writer. Uh, She's had a couple of books uh, on the uh, New York Times bestsellers list uh she's has had some great comedy albums uh you might know her from chelsea lately or drunk history uh you might know her from my other podcast fofop where she's a regular guest on that and if you like her today on philosophy please go and check out the fofop episodes uh that star jen as well because they're absolute treats they're all epics uh (laughs) but today she was uh we actually recorded a fofop episode the same day as we recorded this uh, but we recorded the fofop afterwards because uh, jen was uh serious about concentrating and uh making sure that we uh we got what we wanted from this uh, podcast. Uh, she's absolutely brilliant. If you like her, please uh, follow her at Jen Kirkman on Twitter. Uh, find her website, find where she's playing. And uh, yeah, to any Australian listeners, check her out at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and make sure that you um, you know check out her shows when she goes on the roadshow all around Australia. Okay, there you go. Uh, I told you I'd try to keep it tight this week. Uh, thanks to... Uh, uh, okay, St. Hughes, I Like You. That's the theme song. Uh, it's on sale now at iTunes. So if you look up I Like You uh, featuring Holly B by St. Hughes, uh, you'll be able to find. Uh, and it's Saint, S-A-I-N-T, St. Hughes. Um, uh, then you can download the theme song and you can uh, support those guys for supporting us. All right, that'll do. Um, I've got to get on a plane. Uh, hope you enjoy this episode. Cheers. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. That's the name of the podcast. I'm Will Anderson. I'm the host of the podcast. Um, A host, I guess I'm the host. Uh, Anyway, I'll I'll be the one who will be talking for kind of 
half the time. I'm explaining too much. I'm assuming people know what a conversation is. You may have even listened to this podcast before. If not, I'm assuming that you're smart enough if you've downloaded a podcast to work out, you know, how a conversation works as it happens along the way. Uh, Let's get into it. Uh, Guest, uh, who are you? Oh, I'm Jen Kirkman. I am a... uh Oh, I've heard this before on your show, and now I don't know what I was going to say. I'm a uh, lady and um, a comedian and a friend of yours and a, um, kind of a traveling nomad. Okay, I like that. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I like that you went with lady first. A yeah. Lady first. Lady first. Yeah. In Australia, if you ever become popular enough in Australia, you mm-hmm. could actually, you know, you could become a lady. You could... Oh. Yeah, officially a lady. Lady Jen Kirkman. I feel like I would never want anything that... I know like when comedians get or anyone gets too um, deified. You know what I mean? Okay. So, oh, that, so you don't that, like a knighthood for a comedian? Like, you know. No, no, no. Or like Sir Paul McCartney. I would, right. I would be so embarrassed by that, that I would... <laughs> if I was knighted or ladied or whatever. Right. I would make my campaign about how I have to accept this, but I'm really embarrassed about it and it's and it's bad. And then I would name 10 people that are better than me that no one knows. Okay. That's kind of the aesthetic I was brought up with, not in my family, but in like the stuff I liked, like uh, punk rock stuff. Okay. I feel I like, think. yeah. So you, okay. Yeah. So you don't, you never want to see like, not that he was punk rock, but like you never wanted to see like Sir Kurt Cobain or Sir, no, you he know. already was too much. Right. I look back now that he was only 27 and I see how young that is. Mm-hmm. And I think, oh my God, I thought he was so smart because I was, I think, seven years younger than him. Right. But, or eight. But so now you go, that was a kid. Right. Who was just saying, not the even that. What the fuck does this 27 year old know? And, it, and also, that's when he died. I mean, <laughs> right. when he was popular, he was even younger. And yeah. it's like, he didn't know anything and he wasn't right. really saying anything. <laughs> so it's kind of like, um, but he knew that, and that's <laughs> right. why I think he was freaked out that so yep. many people were. And also, that was just an excuse. He yep. was, a lot, he, his, he did not die because he was freaked out by fame. Right. But I think he was freaked out that I think the minute you become important, the, all people want to do is knock you off the thing. So you also have to stay, I think, a little under it. I think if you want to keep attracting new people. Okay, all right, we've anyway. got we've got off topic very yeah, sorry, quickly sorry. in this podcast. <laughs> it's okay. No, there's there's no right or wrong, but. I, I, but I'm a lady first. Yeah, you're a lady first, and I like that. A comedian second, a friend third. I like that. That was a good order. And then after a, a traveling Wilbury or something. Well, you know what's funny is I would say in in comedy I'm a comedian first, lady second. But in life I'm just a you right. Know, yeah. Okay. The other person. way around. Yeah. Yeah. That's what everybody's looking for. You know, a comedian who's lady in the. <laughs> I was, lady, I'm trying to do that weird joke. Yeah, in the streets. In the streets, yeah. a lady in the streets, <laughs> and a comedian in the streets. Nobody wants. <laughs> nobody wants. And I don't even think anyone wants a lady in the streets. Is this either. thing on? Yeah. <laughs> Is this? You guys hear me up the back? <laughs> Can you imagine? I just want to. Thanks very much for my opener. If people think that female comics like talk into penises. Right. And then pretend they're microphones. Have you they ever done that. that? No. No. Not never once. Not even for fun. It doesn't not no, even for I would comedy. never no. Never. No. No. Would never do that. Not no. once. No. No. Not grabbed it on the shaft and tapped it on the end like it was a microphone. I've never seen one that big. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I, 
I have never done that. This is deep. This is not like the other philosophies. <laughs> okay, you know, this Will is right. This I've, is, no, we've gone. It's you're too right. ridiculous. Let's take it back to seriousness. Let's delete and yeah. start over. Okay, all right. Everyone rewind. Everyone rewind? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Get your tape decks rewind. Right. Okay, so here's, here's what we're doing. Okay, yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask you if you have a philosophy. Now, okay. s- some people don't. Uh, some people have various. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just a starting point. But right. uh, do you, Jen Kirkman, uh, lady comedian, friend, traveler, have a philosophy? I do. And I prepare, I wrote some down and I have, there. I'm not going to say them all, but I'm going to see which one strikes me today. Okay. But no, I want to really be clear that this, I bet if I listened to this in a year, it'd be different. And... I was not always this way. And there's a million philosophies I have regarding different things. I think my two biggest philosophies, and I think they say the same thing, but they say it differently. One is get out of result. Don't do anything or feel anything. I can explain it more later, but get out of result. And then the other one, one of my favorite philosophies is actually, and it doesn't have to be religious or even spiritual, so I'll take the the word prayer out of it, but it comes from and I'm not in AA or anything, but it's a, it's from like the 12 step world, uh-huh. which is, and I'll take out the God part, but like grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. I right. feel like if everyone operated that way, they at least would feel less insane. Right. And I, also, so I think that's one of my biggest philosophies. Well, what I like, what I like about, and let's start with the second one first, yeah. but what I like about that one is firstly, you shouldn't have any reticence in my opinion about like taking the best bits of advice or philosophy or nuggets from yeah. wherever they come from. Yeah. If it's from AA and the recovery program, you know, you don't have to believe in a higher power to no. you know, work through the steps and see if they work for you and try them out. Maybe no. they won't, you know, maybe you have to go a different and, direction. And they, you know, you can redefine higher power as just saying, even just saying grant me without saying God first. Right. It's just like, hey, better self, the one yeah. that's in there that I don't always listen to. Yeah. Um, yeah, super me. The, the one that comes out maybe in my dreams or if I'm just being quiet. Yeah. The inner voice. Right. You know what to do. That one. That kind of thing. Yeah. And sometimes you don't know. Right. But, but that's okay. You know, walk through it anyway, which is another... But also, it's a, yeah, it's, a, it's also a little bit of just give me the peace to trust my instincts. So often in life, we know what the answer to yes. you know our questions is, but we don't, we can't sort through the clutter or get rid of what's in our mind yeah. to be able to have the time. Like so, so often, yeah. just by going for a walk or getting away from something, you can get perspective on a situation. Yeah, and that's really well, what that's that's saying. I also think too another philosophy of mine would be because- you don't have to you don't have to be like hey God clear out my diary. I've right. got some thinking to do. Right, exactly. You, can, you, you know, can just do it. However you interpret that. But I do think there's something to be said for... Sometimes we listen to our instincts, even if we have meditated for 10 hours, taken right. a walk, just saw, not talked to anyone for three days. Your instincts sometimes feel the same as your ego. Sometimes they feel the same as wanting, desire. Uh-huh. Sometimes your instincts can be wrong. And so I think the other part of it is be okay if you went with the wrong instinct. Uh-huh. But I feel like instinct implies it always has to be right. And so then I feel like people don't forgive themselves. Like, well, that was my instinct. It's like, that's okay too. Even if you fucked everything up with that instinct, you know, well, I, be okay Okay, with that. Here's, here's the thing. Here's, here's maybe, and no, I've not had this thought before. Mm. I'm just kind of thinking about it as I talk. But um, that idea that your instinct is something 
that is static is probably an idea that we should get rid of rather like our instinct or our intuition should be mm-hmm. something that we work on that we refine like you refine your palate or that yes. you can exercise and refine your muscles or your body that we should think of our instinct as a thing that we should learn how to best trust our instinct but mm-hmm. also train our instincts learn from bad information times when we took bad choices and adjust our instincts so our yeah. instinct becomes more attuned or refined right you know, this I idea that we think of our instinct it's not magic like, yeah it's yeah like you said it's, it's sometimes logic infused with just a gut feeling right. but you're right it's, so if, if the first time i went with my instinct i went badly with it right then okay i can keep it's not like oh my instincts suck right it's like, it's like get better instincts them. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> like, i'm not doomed and yeah. it doesn't mean i oh that mustn't have really been my instinct no maybe it was right. it just it wasn't developed yet yeah or maybe you needed further information because yeah. sometimes your instinct can be like you can yeah i mean i i would like to think that like you know, if you never read a newspaper, like maybe on climate change, mm-hmm. you would be like, oh, well, okay, maybe like, you know, there's two sides to this debate. But because I have grown up in a, a system where we trust scientists and like our whole way that we operate as human beings is based yeah. on this idea that we trust the science of how cars are made or the science of the planes that we get on or the food that we eat. Like this is an implicit agreement. Like we, yeah. don't, we don't have time to go to medical school ourselves. So yeah. we trust that someone else goes on our behalf. And in a time when, you know, that needs to be done, there's yeah. an expert to do it. Yeah. Then when I say my instinct is to trust that the scientists are right about climate change, like it's not like I was born with that instinct. Yes, right. I, like I've taken into account mm-hmm. like all those things. It's not like I'm sitting there literally processing them, putting all the information in front of me and making a decision. I'm just going based on what I feel like I've learned in this world. About who we About who the, we are and how the world works yeah. and who the experts are and even just the system we agree to to kind of make it best work. It's yeah. the best system we have at the moment. My instinct is that they're right. Well, you know, it's funny uh, to even go further with instinct. I know some people who they and I have the same instincts to not trust authority, uh-huh. but, but I feel they're getting it, to put it badly, wrong. So I go, okay. Last way they killed seven policemen. <laughs> What's that? Last week they killed yeah, seven police. Exactly. <laughs> like, They're taking it too far. But you know I what? think, That's, like, with the climate change st- debate, it's like a perfect example. Right. Like, we have scientists who, uh-huh. as far as I know, are not out to make money on this. Right. But we have the oil companies who are. Yes. And so I have proof that the oil companies are making money off this. Right. I see it. Yes. The scientists, there is, evidence. There, there is no uh, greed of scientists, has never really been a thing. No. And so I know They've people. They've tried to get a few things going at different times, and everyone's still like, I just, this still doesn't make sense. This is like a James Bond plot that you seem to be coming up with. There is like, yeah. when do the scientists get the benefit out of? I don't really understand when they're supposed to get rich off the science of climate change. Right. But so the, my, my, not my friends, but people I know who deny it. and they Unless believe- we find out at some stage that scientists bought all the property, like, but like that yeah. is not on the beach. They bought up like all this cheap property that was the exact amount the oceans would rise. And like every one of those now beachside houses is owned by scientists who got them at cheap prices. I mean, they were, then, maybe then. Then you know what? Then right. we are so, again, then we're gonna have we to cannot even change it anymore. <laughs> so out of our control. But I think it's like, yeah, some people have the instinct to not trust authority. They're just getting it a little off and they're not trusting it's yeah. the authority of scientists. Sure. They're going and they're seeing authority of oil companies as somehow on their side. So instinct can really fuck us all up. So I feel like it's a strange word even too that we say trust your instincts as though they're always good. 
But I think they can be. I know times in my life when I've trusted my instinct and when I can honestly look back and go, that wasn't an instinct. That was me pushing my ego through going, I want this. So I'm going to push it through, call it instinct. And then when I get a, I get stomach aches, never, but I get them every time I make a bad decision. And I know I'm in the middle of one because my stomach will hurt. Is it more about, I mean, what, 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 what is the Buddhist idea? Mindfulness of being in that I in that moment of being aware of all your decisions in that moment, like having a peace of mind to be able to make a decision. Sorry, I'm not explaining this as well. No, as I, I know. Like. I mean, yeah. So maybe to the audience, because but. often say say okay, let's just make it something very simple, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm hungry. My instinct is my initial instinct is that I'm hungry, right? right. But like, is there something more to that moment where I'm like I can? step back from the moment of just being hungry and saying, actually, you know what? It's like four o'clock in the afternoon mm-hmm. and like I, I also want to go to bed early tonight because I've got that thing. So it would be better for me to kind of like eat around seven mm-hmm. and like and that's going to actually make me feel better about – like I could eat right now yeah. and then I fuck up the rest of my day. So yeah. my instinct is eat. And you're not right? wrong. Like your body's probably saying eat. Eat. But then if I take into account like yeah. the rest of my evening and like, it, you know, not just making a decision that is for right now, but being yeah. able to have a state of mind or a peace of mind to be able to consider the, the well, ramifications you're gonna feed the hungry of your furnace. decision. You're going to feed your furnace. You might do it three hours later. It's not going to kill you. So that kind of goes back to the serenity thing of like grammy serenity to accept the things I cannot change. So that's not something you cannot change. Uh-huh. The, uh, what is it? The wisdom to change things. Like the, the courage to change things I can, the wisdom to know the difference. Right. So you're using your wisdom there. Like I can't change. I'm going to be hungry as long as I'm on the earth. There's never going to be, if I don't eat enough, I'm going to be hungry. But I, I have the, uh, not the courage, but in this case, the, what I'm allowed to eat in three hours. So it's like, it's that thing. Like every decision comes in, like, am I really just trying to push this through? Or am I really, you know, and that's what I think with my career. I don't, I, I will say, like, I've been asked for advice by three people who are now extremely successful. Mm-hmm. Chris Hardwick, Whitney Cummings, and Mike Birbiglia have all come to me, and they're all comedians of people don't know. Extremely successful. Mm-hmm. I mean, by, by, on all levels, check every box, financial exposure, bodies of work, audience that's specific to them. They have all asked me for my advice at one point. They did not, none of them took my advice. Right. So that is that's, why they are successful. That's yeah, a secret to their success. So, but I feel like it is, it is because... So this is going to be like that Costanza episode of uh, Seinfeld. Like, listen to this one. This will be the first philosophy where it's just do the opposite of whatever you know what? we talk about. There's another great 12-step thing called take contrary action. So if you're this nervous, neurotic oh. person and what you usually do every time you're upset is, oh, I'm going to tell that person off right now. Like maybe just this one time, don't tell them off today. Go do it tomorrow. Right. Yeah, you're not ruling out. You don't have to be that person forever. Just yeah. see what it's like. So how to- does, and then it, you immediately you realize that was that's the right thing to do. But right. with with the this with those guys, I guess my point is that um, I I am an instinctive person, and and they, it kicks my ass sometimes, and sometimes it really rewards me. I can't be any other way. I'm, it's at this point, I'm not going to change. It's, I'm too old, and so it's like I just do what I feel like doing, and I like I said before, I get out of the result. Like I really like doing this. I would love for this to come out of it, but but I'm not sometimes the smartest person on earth. So sometimes I might like want something to come out of something and something even better is waiting or might happen. Or So for me to go, I'm going to do this so this will happen, I'm not good with that. Other people are good with that. They can make that happen. I think the three people I listed are really good with setting goals and making it happen. I always have bad ideas about what the goal should be. So I've just 
not even on purpose, but instinctively been like, I'm just going to do what I love and see what happens. Even if I don't get paid to do what I love, I, I'm kind of not good at planning. So this is kind of the way I'm going to do things. Okay, firstly, and then you, I start to see a pattern. You in this episode because I was going to call it uh, Jen Kirkman, the smartest person on earth. <laughs> the you've, planner. You've just, oh, sorry. You've just uh, completely ruined that. Add a question no. mark. Secondly, okay, okay, this is an interesting area and, and something that we've talked about in previous conversations, but is hopefully new to the audience, which is um, that idea of just being. When, particularly when it comes to work, of mm-hmm. doing something that you love rather than being goal-orientated about where that thing will go or what it will become. So talk to me about that in relation to you know, your work right now, what you're doing in your work and what your mindset is and how maybe that's like changed or developed. Where, you know, what did it used to be like? Well, I think when I was younger and I started out in comedy, you had to have or I had to have a day job. Something I didn't love, I did for the money. And not good money at all. So where did you start doing comedy? Let's go through that. Okay, I started in Boston in 1997. Uh-huh. And you're from Boston, born yeah. and raised? Born and raised in the suburbs of Boston, uh-huh. yeah. So I started comedy in Cambridge, which is not quite... It's, you know, next to Boston. Okay. It's uh, Brooklyn to New York's Manhattan. Oh, but okay. even closer, you can walk right. from Boston to <laughs> okay. Cambridge. You just sure. go over a little bridge. Right. But it's, you know, Harvard, MIT, whatever. It's a okay. little more... Uh, intellectual, but a little more also like people were recycling bags there before. Okay. They would progressive. in Boston. Yeah, progressive. Yeah. So I started there. That really has nothing to do with it. Um, but yeah, I used to be very tortured by my day jobs. Like, I know I want to do this for a living and I can't. How yet. did you want to do comedy? Did you want to do comedy? Is that what you wanted to do? Is it? Well, like what got you interested in performing or whatever it is that you were trying to do? I, it just, I was kind of born wanting to perform. Okay. But it was always different. Like I started taking dance at age four. So for the longest time, I thought I was going to be a dancer. Right. And actually I had this very heartbreaking thing happen, which is kind of an interesting story. Okay, tell me. Is, um, so I took dance my whole life, tap, jazz, ballet. Uh-huh. And when you get to... And I was really good. I was good for my town. Okay. One How big old, was your town? Pretty big. I mean, there was hundreds of people in my graduating class. Right. Okay. So, I mean, it, tens of thousands of people at least. Okay. But... um. But not many people took dance and not many people took it seriously. They were there because their moms made them. I was there because I wanted to be a dancer when I grew up. And I knew that when I was four. And when you were a dancer, Uh like, you know, you're training to be a dancer. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Do you still, do you bust out your dance moves like on the dance floor in real life as well? Well, no, that's where the heartbreak comes. Oh, So what happened was I took dance all my life. Then at age 11 or 10, you go on point shoes, which is different than, you know, you've got your flat ballet shoes. Point is the thing you see, like if you go see a real ballet, Uh you can't really do that. Up on their toes. Yeah. Up on your toes. You can't really do that till you developed uh, your ankle bones when you're 11. Yeah. At that point. That and semi-plie. That's about it. That's all I've got on ballet. Semi-plie? I think it's demi-plie. Demi-plie. Damn it. I think I've said that wrong It means the same thing. Demi-plie. It's just that it's French, I think. I think I've made that same mistake on the podcast before. That's okay. I think I have one bit of information, <laughs> but I don't. Well, and this is not to implicate my mom or anything, but okay. I, back then, because I was the, the, the best one in my class and stuff, there was this weird confidence my, my parents had in me. They, they would not listen to facts. And okay. so my teacher knew I can't, she's got to now train every day if she wants to be a dancer. Right. Your body has to, you almost have to halt puberty. Yeah. And it was like, I had that kind of body that... I probably wasn't going to hit puberty until I was older anyway. So uh-huh. I'm, my body was kind of made for dancing. And so my teacher went to my mom and said, she has to go to Boston Ballet now or else she will never be a dancer. Uh-huh. Um, I can't teach her any more than I already know. 
she cannot get any better unless she's in school and then lives at that school and goes dancing right. every day. It's like the start of fame. Yeah. And so Boston was really only a 12-minute drive from my suburb. Okay, right. But to my parents, it seemed like a really big difference. And I'm sure they probably thought it was too expensive, and I'm, but they just didn't try. They weren't. They were the type more. Oh no, we can't do that. And Jen, oh no, 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 no. Jen's fine. And, oh no, no. But thank you. And oh no, we could never leave you. And you're so good. They didn't understand that next level thing. Right. And no one came to me and told me this. So I believed. No one told me this happened. I had no idea. Right. I was 11 to 18. Like uh-huh. I'm going to be a dancer. Like really thought it. Right. And did not know this conversation happened. And when I was 18, I applied for all these dance schools. And I went to the, you had to audition to get in. And I went to the audition and I, I couldn't believe the difference between me and the other dancers. I mean, right. this was like, I don't even know how to explain it. Like watching someone do karaoke and watching Whitney Houston sing. Right. These were real dancers. They all should have been famous dancers. They were all so good. I couldn't even do half the moves. I couldn't get my legs a certain way. I had no idea I wasn't this good. And one of the people said to me, you can't be in the school because your body's developed. Right. You have an ass. And I don't even have oh, yeah. a big and that's ass. That's not even something that you can like I mean you can't I mean you know maybe you they could see you as a raw like talent and go, oh well you know what? Yes. She's got the passion or whatever and we can mold her. But, but it's hard to, to regress oh, too old to mold. <laughs> <laughs> that's my other philosophy. That's actually not a good that's actually not a good philosophy. You should always be ready to mold. Oh uh, yeah that's true. Never be too old to mold. Yeah but, that's but your in philosophy. ballet your body's already developed. Yeah. You're never gonna get your joints Nature's to undo. Done its molding. You're done. Yeah. And it was that thing of uh there are some people who are spectacular dancers and they happen to have like a bigger body. I'm not a big person at all, but I'm saying like for dance I was. Right. So it was this I was destroyed. Okay, so how old are you when this happens? Eighteen. Right. I was seventeen. And it's what what you honestly believe you were gonna I be. I honestly doing. believed I'm probably not gonna be a famous dancer. It's probably right. gonna be more Broadway singing and dancing tap. Sure. Um, but I'll probably end up being a dance teacher and owning a studio. Okay. And I'll probably be an actress at some point too. Uh-huh. But really believed right. it. And I never talk about this because I feel like it would hurt my mom so much. Because uh, when she told me, she told me it like, uh, not as, uh, Jen, I'm so sorry. But she told me it is like, you know, Diane believed in you so much that she said this. And I go, like everything became clear at that moment. Right. Like, like I saw my other life and like, no, that's where I should be. But I don't think it was right. And I think so that I went to... I like completely shut. I mean, I always loved comedy though. I always right. wanted to be funny. Okay. But, but I now, wanted to be class clown. Did, I didn't want did, to be a professional comic. Without knowing anything yeah. about like, you know, to the audience here, knowing anything about you yet. You yeah. Know, um, if someone came to you right now and said, okay, you can go back to that time mm-hmm. and you get to go to that school. Yes. And you get your life of maybe doing like some Broadway shows and yes. you start your own dance studio yes. and that's what you get. Yes. Or here right now who you are right now because i've already lived this and it's fine i'm gonna take a chance i want to see the other side i gotta see it i gotta see what i'm not saying i would like it better i have all these regrets but i gotta see what that looks like because i love it so much and so now i can't even dance because it's if you ask anyone that's taken ballet even as an amateur it's very painful to you just lose your body at a certain Uh point and i can i'm pretty good with jazz or tap but if, if I go in a ballet class, I'm a beginner again, and I the ego is too much. It's I can't. I can't. There's no joy in it for me anymore. I love to watch ballet. Um, I love it more than anything. I love dance more than anything, but it's just I don't talk about it. It's like this weird other life, and I just package it and put it away. And in the movie of my life, when I'm 60, you know, I'm going to 
be like, why am I, someone's going to marry me at 60 and be like, what's this block in your head? And then I'm going to do a performance for the town and I'm going to cry. Like, but I'm still very closed off about it. It's, it's not, it's like one of those things where like if I was doing a Comedy Central roast and people made jokes about that, I would walk off the stage. Like it's not a joke. I am devastated that this did not happen for me. And so, but I'm not thinking about it. I think I'm naturally funny. So I think that maybe it was for the best. Maybe I would have hated it. I, I have to believe. Now on one hand, I don't believe there's a plan because how would we say all the war refugees and people with babies with AIDS, you know? For white middle-class well, people... Jen, they were clearly terrible people right. in previous lives and they're being punished by the almighty and all-knowing God. I mean, maybe that is how life is. That is their plan. For no reason. Right. There is no plan. Yeah. So I'm just saying, like, it's all... Because it's I am all, God and I'm terrible. <laughs> I think it's all okay. Yeah. Like, we, we adapt to uh, what we're doing. So I think then I went to college. Okay, now I'm going to be a serious actor. Forget that. I still took dance all through college. Uh-huh. But um, it was, uh, okay, now I'm going to be an actor who can dance a Who can dance. Yeah, right. You're and, going to be a double threat. Yeah, a double threat. That's what you're going to be. And then it was just one of those classic things where my friends thought I was funny. Yeah. I thought and I was so, funny suddenly too. Suddenly you just go triple threat. You hear triple threat in your ears. She dances, she sings. And she's funny. I mean, I didn't sing. But I, I thought, yeah, I know I'm funny when yeah, I hang out. Yeah, you didn't out. sing. Then you'd be a quadruple no. threat. No. I used to sing, but I don't yeah. anymore. I go, of course I'm funny. Right. But I want to, like, what am I, I mean, I would, yeah, I would do stand up, I guess, if that was a job, but that's yeah. really a job I can do. I didn't think it was. Right. So then I started auditioning for like serious plays in college and people would laugh when I was trying to be serious. Right. And I'm like, no, I'm trying to be fucking serious. Yeah. And then my friend like needed a friend to go with him to audition for an improv group. And the classic story, I waited for him. They're like, are you, aud- you just come on in. I'm like, no, I don't want to no, I'm an actor. And just come on in. And they love me and he like, didn't get in. And really I did. happened? Swear to God that happened. Because every time some actor tells that story. I swear I'm- to God, it was my friend Cullen sprague you can look him up he's hilarious gay guy he was like my friend we would be you know he'd be in the closet we'd be in my room singing into a hairbrush (laughs) and vogue and like we had this great life together but he wanted to be you know he eventually got into another comedy troupe later but i got into this one and it was a very pretentious comedy troupe it was only sketches that are based on edgar Allan poe (laughs) works Mixed with like modern day movies. It was weird. Right. So it was weird. And what was the name of the sketch group? Burnt Toast. Burnt Toast? Yeah. Right. So, because yeah. the sketches made you feel like you were about to have a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> I, or you hope you're having a stroke. Yeah. Oh, I God. Don't know I hope why, that really isn't toast I'm smelling because this is <laughs> so bad. I want to have a stroke. No, so that was like when it started. And then it, then I started reading biographies of stand ups. That it is, by the so way, badass. that story. Yeah. Like, Every time, and there's Sam Worthington, uh, you know, the Australian actor. And yeah. I'm probably, I mean, a big shout out to Sam if he wants to come on the podcast. But come every on, time Sam. I hear him tell like his origin story, yeah. it becomes like more and more ridiculous. Well, it's seemingly to me, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the way I remember it. Because he was a very well-established actor in Australia, winning a string of awards and was like in a bunch of really well-credentialed shows. And he'd yeah. been to NIDA, which is like, you know, the most prestigious acting you know school in all of Australia. But every time I would hear his, like him tell the <laughs> The story of Avatar on some Tonight Show to be like, oh yeah, I was just uh, walking by <laughs> some bins and uh, someone was throwing out a mattress and I grabbed the mattress because I thought that'd be a place to sleep under the stars <laughs> on a mattress and then I was carrying the mattress and uh, into some uh, bloke's house just helping to move in and having some beers and carrying a mattress and then 
Oh, Jim called Jim Cameron, James Cameron, and uh, I was in. Then I was in Avatar. You're like, what? What? Is that? Yeah, and that that doesn't. Well, it's that weird thing of you know when people always go, "Is there pain in your life? Is that right. why you're a comic?" I'm sure that my family had its dysfunctions, and they definitely did. But I don't think any of that translated into me wanting to be funny. I always was a show off and a performer. Right. I think. The real pain was seriously yeah, this, this, this thing strength. at 17, 18. And that's when it just, I got super moody, super depressed. And then the flip side was that I was funny. And so right. then I just was like, fuck it. I'm going to do comedy. It's an interesting the thing opposite. though. For at that age of your life, mm-hmm. because I think it's easy. I mean, we're not easy. It's clearly not easy for you to look back on this now. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like it should be easy. I bet there's people out there going like, and to, even to me, your yeah. friend, yeah. like it feels almost comical, you know that you, yeah, good. like that you wanted to no, but do you know what I mean? Like, because it's so different. You've and you've had such a great successful life since then, yeah, yeah. That it's hard to even imagine there was another life or another thing that you wanted to be exactly more than this. I think that. 10 minutes ago on this podcast, you said, if I gave you the option, you go, I want to go and see what, like, yeah. so at 17 years of age, and you know, that's the equivalent of like not getting the right grades to get into college or whatever for whatever, your dream, you know. It seems like a dumb age, but when you really know what you want and you have to be the age to do it, it's kind of, it was very real. It's a really important age and you must feel, and you've got no coping skills. I mean, you're not old enough to have... Not only are you experiencing – that's the age where you should be experiencing disappointments by yourself. Yeah. You know, going out on your own and suddenly realizing that life is a lot harder than, yeah. you know, you know, and all those sort of things. You should be – but it shouldn't be major life things like this thing that I wanted to do forever, I, I'm not going to be able to do. That's yeah. like – Well, you know what's so interesting is now I have a different perspective. So that whole thing of I'm not going to be able to do it, like, yes, right. I'm not going to be able to do it professionally, but guess what? Even if I had gone to that Boston Ballet, uh, I might still have never made it into right. a company. I might not have been good enough. I might have injured my leg for the rest of my life and been had a fake leg. Sure, we don't know what, what could happen in the perspective that I that I need to that I've probably worked through. But the perspective of like, yep, it was going to be the other way. If I wasn't doing this, I'd be a professional ballerina. Well, that's a crazy dream. To that's a crazy thing to say. That's probably not even what was going to happen. This is probably rejection is protection. Sometimes people say that's only works for middle-class white people. I'm not saying like, Hey, black guy rejected from the coffee shop. Like it's protection. Like, no, that's unfair. And the world is terrible for some people, but white middle-class people can say shit like rejection is protection. And I have enough free time where I'm not being chastised by my government or hosed down by cops that I can go, Hey, you know what? Uh, in that particular case, I wonder if I'd had a little less angst I could have said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I love dance so much. Is there something else I could do with it? Maybe I could be, um, whatever, the history of dance. Maybe I could learn Russian something. Maybe I could, whatever. There's a million things in the dance world, I think. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe I, I mean, a bookkeeper. I, I later went a on curator to curator of a company or a, well, you know, like it's a, interesting. I didn't even realize this. My day job in Boston was I worked at Boston Ballet. Hmm. I worked in the group sales department and my job was to help introduce ballet to like inner city kids, get people in because the subscribers were dying. It's only old people that went. So my job was to get young people interested and really try to mold minds that ballet is really Mm. cool and not boring. And so I did that job for years and then I moved on to do that at... You were like Michelle Pfeiffer in that movie. Dangerous Minds? Dangerous Minds. Yeah, Yeah, but with ballet. And it's, and it's like, I felt really, I did, I had a really cool job. I did right. good things for people. And we got these kids into something they normally couldn't afford and, and got them interested in this 
really physical, great things. So in a weird way, I did end up doing a job you can do with dance and I didn't love it enough. I still was like, then that job became my torture when I was like, why aren't I a comedian? And I had this amazing, like some people could do what I did there at 21, like a dipshit. That could be someone's career. And it is someone has that job now. So it's like, I have to, I'm realizing this as I'm saying it. Well, obviously that wasn't my passion because I gave that up because I had to do comedy and I moved to New York and didn't take another job like it. I, so obviously that we see that it unfolded perfectly because I just went with my heart and my heart changed. Like once I started doing the comedy, the comedy as it's called, my heart changed. I, I did like it. I'm not up there now. Like, God, I wish I was dancing, <laughs> but part of me does. I love yeah. to dance, but okay. So it's a hobby. It's a, it's my thing. I love. Why is that bad? Why it doesn't not count because I'm not doing it professionally. I mean, deep down, I think it doesn't. But, <laughs> but I have I have good perspective on it. Okay, so yeah. you you get through that time of mm-hmm. rejection and you know, yeah, you know whatever you were going through. How long was that period? Do you think in between, like you know, realizing that the dancing wasn't going to happen and starting doing comedy, or did they overlap? Or yeah, kind of overlap. Like the dancing, I knew going into college, so I didn't get into any of those colleges. Uh-huh. The one college I could get into was this college in Boston called Emerson. Right. Now they have a comedy program yeah. and all this stuff. They didn't back then. They've got a comedy program. Yeah, it's like a big comedy school. Like David Cross went there, Jay Leno. <laughs> That's an expression yeah. we don't have in Australia. Yeah, a big comedy school. <laughs> That's a big comedy school. Well, a lot of comedians had come out of it, okay. but what made them comedians? was not anything they learned in college. It was going to Boston and doing the open mics. So I kind of feel weird that there's a comedy program there now. Like you can major in it. I feel like the shit I had to put up with there made me the comedian I am. Like the rejection and the, what do you want to be a comedian? Like by the time I was a senior, I knew. And I went to the adults at the school. That's what the course should be like. If yeah. they actually had a comedy People course, beating you like down. every day you just come in and then everyone's just being, everyone else in the class, their assignment is to be weird for you for some reason you can't work out. <laughs> <laughs> then you just have to. <laughs> Heckle you. Well, I right. went to the dean who actually was a, a sexual harasser. We got him fired. Okay. He'd sexually harassed me in my audition and a bunch of other women. Right. And so I, but I still trusted his judgment because I'm stupid. You know, I'm a kid. I still think 21's a kid. I was definitely a kid. And I went to him and said, I want to be a comedian, but you guys don't have any classes for it. What am I going to do when when I graduate? I'm fucked. Like as though my theater degree was going to be good. And And also as if having a degree in comedy would help you in comedy in any way. Well, that's why I feel sad for the kids now that get out because they think it's going to help. That's like, how many times have you ever been asked, like, oh, I, I... can we see your degree? You, you, you're qualified to do this, right? Yeah, I'm never, I mean, never, even in jobs and our right. comedy. But so he said, you know, you would have been a standoff already. All the greats start in their teens. Richard Pryor, this and that, Eddie Murphy. He goes, you're not going to make it as a standoff. So I'm like, everyone needs that moment where I'm like, oh yeah, fuck you. Okay, and yeah, as you sure. know, so... So I wrote a letter to the college. How important do you think that moment is? The, the, by the biggest way? moment in my mouth because because yeah. I, I, I it's the, a topic that's come up a little bit on this. I had a oh, high school teacher who uh-huh. said I wasn't funny and that I was never going to be funny. And to this day, I, I'm a person that tries not to hate. I try not to hold on to it. I think yeah, it's a yeah. useless emotion. But I still to this day, there's, if I, there's one person I feel like I hate, even just for old times' sake, yeah. I still kind of hate her. And then, but I kind of realize that she's been so important to like my determination to do yeah. this. That she she was really important in my life. I don't want to acknowledge that. 
I don't want to become, yeah. I don't want her to even feel like she was important. <laughs> like, it's so funny. Like I but, don't, I have that hate for another teacher I had when I was younger, which isn't an interesting story, but I actually weirdly don't have hate for him. And it's not because I'm this evolved person. It was just one of those things where the minute he said that yeah. something switched in me and I went, yeah. oh, he just doesn't know what he's talking about. And grownups aren't always right. So dumb I was. And so I wrote a letter to no, the but college. That's what, I think that's what we think all the time. Like, yeah. But 21, I feel like, might but, be too old to But think nobody that, but. knows what they're doing. Yeah, and that's a beautiful thing. And once you start to, to realize that, people are just giving you their best guess most of the time. Yeah. I mean, I wrote a letter to the college. There was this Shakespearean teacher that everyone thought was so important. She didn't think I was a talented actor. Uh-huh. Um, and so I wrote a letter like, why'd you let me in here then? If you didn't think I was good and why'd you waste my parents' money? And why'd you this? Like, why are you systematically beating me down? This is a time where I'm supposed to be creative and you're not letting me do plays and you're not letting me do this. What do you want me to fucking do? And then I come to you and I say, okay, you didn't cast me in any plays this year. I want to do stand up, and you shit on that too. How is this a college? This isn't fame, you know, cause it wasn't one of those colleges right. where they're supposed to audition you every year and it's competitive. It wasn't a very hippy dippy school. And I went, well, you're failing your students. You're failing your reputation. I will never acknowledge this school in a good way. I will never give it money. I'll never. And I know that in my heart right now. And I just said, you've completely failed me. And the letter went around and everyone was talking about it. It was your Jerry Maguire moment. Yeah. And, and you know, it didn't do anything. Right. <laughs> but it helped me get clear. Uh-huh. It was my, I know what I want moment. Right. I have never given the school a dime. Uh-huh. I do not say positive things about my experience there. And um, even when my book hit the bestsellers list last year and I did a tour at, at Boston, you would think the college would have reached out. Like I'm still not on any of their like lists of successful people. And it's like, it's good. Goodbye. You know, right. and I don't have hatred for the college or anything like that. I will just say that the things that helped me, I had two teachers at that school that I'm still in touch with who helped me more than anything. Uh-huh. And those people, all they taught me was go to New York and live your life. One of them was a woman who was in the original production of hair. She was taught directly by Bob Fosse. She's still in my life. She's probably, 80 years old now. And this other teacher who was an acting teacher, um, who was like the comedic acting teacher. So these two people stayed in my life. And the reason they did was because they taught me stuff that was based on what they went through in life. Wasn't something from the school, but I wouldn't have met them if I didn't go there. So that's why I think college can be really helpful is don't go for what you think the books are going to say, you know, something's going to happen there, right? but you don't know what it's going to be. And and you don't, you got out of it what you needed to get out of it, which yeah. was pe- people to tell you the right things to do to go and do what you wanted to do. Yeah. And a better attitude to go and prove people wrong, which yeah. is what you needed. Yeah. Like, I, so that's the thing. We always go into these experiences it, it, with this kind of idea that everybody is going to get the exact same result out of it, or it, that yeah. even the idea that everybody's looking for the same right. thing. Right. I think it's like a real fault at the heart of how we try to understand other people is that we assume other people have the same motivations or desires or wants or needs as we have, right? which they don't. And I think too, like if I was still performing, the first year was very fuck you, everyone. I don't even know who I was saying fuck you to. But if I was still- (laughs) Just in general. Yeah. Just just, anti-authority, hey, hey, fuck you. So now if I was still performing in that, oh, see, you never thought I'd make it way, that would be- doing myself a disservice. I wouldn't be that good of a performer. I wouldn't be growing. I truly now just do it because I love it. And I think, oh, maybe they'll want to hear this. Like I don't have any demons in my head or anyone I'm trying to prove anything to because I know that that person that said you're not going to make it 
a day later, he didn't even remember that that happened. Right. He is not thinking about me. No. If he was actively trying to take me down still, Yeah, if every, every day he'd sent you another updated letter going, <laughs> yeah. by the way, still... Uh, it's day 10,972. Still don't think you're going to make yeah. it. And, you, you know and I've seen you actually make it a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and I still don't feel like you're here to stay. And then I feel like I would be like, oh, I don't care. Like at this point, I just You'd feel like. You'd start to miss him if you didn't get one for a few yeah, like, days. Yeah, oh, like, oh, I didn't get chastised. Bob okay? <laughs> it's like. I think it's that thing get someone of like, to go by the house. <laughs> like like get it, getting out of result is like that kind of thing of, of uh Maybe I'm just lazy and I'm making excuses. I don't know. I just know that at one point in my life, I went, Jesus Christ, I'm just so lucky to be alive and have all my limbs. And I'm truly happy just waking up. And as long as I have enough money and, and that is a concern, you know, has been a concern in the past when I was really broke, I'm afraid to go back there. Sometimes irrationally so. It is not... I'm not on the precipice of going back there at all, but you don't have I just to uh, give me details or anything, yeah. but explain to me, because I think money's interesting to people because people have different attitudes to money and I don't think there's necessarily right or wrong attitudes. Yeah. Like what role does money play in the choices that you make when it comes to, you know, your work and things like that? You know, what, where is it as a priority? How does it function mm. in your life? What are your attitudes towards money? It's, Anything that you're comfortable talking about. It's not a huge priority, obviously. but it definitely still plays a role in my life where I feel like there's this, with certain people that know me or don't know me, that I'm very successful because I'm very busy. And I, and I think that right. success does not mean you're busy. I think actually the more successful you are, the less busy you are sometimes. Right. Because it can you show... you got all that fucking sweet boat time once well, you're really successful. But you can choose. I could say, like, I, I just finished my second book. Uh-huh. If I had my druthers, I would have only done that this past year. Uh-huh. But that was not financially... Right. Uh, it would have been too much of a risk. Could I have afforded to live? Yes. Would I want to? No. I ha- I'm still at that point where I have to say yes to opportunities because saying no, I'll be forgotten. Right. So, of course, now is the time to go around and keep touring. Uh, if someone wants me to film a pilot and they give me this opportunity without having to audition or write something, I have to do it. If so-, so, all this stuff happened this year that I had to say yes to. And I did. And I was exhausted. And I was working seven days a week. And so, now I'm thinking, okay, so money plays a role in my life where I need to earn it. And now I'm trying to think, how can I tour a little smarter this year, where I tour more like a band going in similar areas each night of the week instead of, I'm flying to Philly this weekend, then I go home, then I fly to DC. Like, why am I flinging myself around? Because I'm not in control. I have to take the money. So I feel like money is important in your freedom. I want my money for my freedom. I don't want it for flashy things. I'm never going to drive a fancy car. I don't drive a beaten down car. I drive a, I'll always have a brand new car because of safety. But otherwise, I don't care about flashy things. I like apartment living. I actually don't want a big house. Um, but I love clothes and I like to fly first class. So those are the things I would use money for all the time if I could. I use it sometimes for those things when I can. So that's it. And money to me is just freedom. It's just going, I, I don't have to work for 10 years if I, if I don't want to or if I can't find it. Or if I need 10 years to think. Tell me so about that's it. Uh, so I'm not there yet. No. Tell, and it's an interesting thing. But to I me. do have to, I don't have to think about money in the way that sometimes when I'm with younger people on the road and I say, I went there to buy a sandwich, they go, those are expensive. I don't know how much a sandwich is. Right. It doesn't matter if it's $20. I can, I will buy, I went to Whole Foods the other day and the honey, this raw organic honey I bought because it's good for your immune system was such an insane price that I almost thought there was a mistake. And I just went, you know what? I actually, right now I'm late for something. And just fuck it. Now, can I, should I do that all the time? No. 
But there would have been a time when I would have been like, I don't know if my card's going to not bounce. Like that's, I, mean, I don't have to think about money in that way anymore, but I have to think about it. Do I fly, you know, first class to Australia? Or do I fly? Not that. Uh, that kind of thing. So what effect do you think that has on your creativity? Do you think that you, uh, if you had more money, say you had more money mm-hmm. and so you could do less things, are there creative? be more creative. Do you think you would be more creative? Yeah. I mean, it's something I think about all the time. It depends like, on the person because I've seen people get really rich right? and it changes them. So they get, they get more, they add more conveniences into their life, which I don't think is always great for creativity. So I've seen people, now they have a gym in their home. Now the nail manicures comes to their house. Now they have an entourage. Now someone does everything for them. Like I still do all my own travel planning. I don't have an assistant. And sometimes I want someone to take that off my shoulders, but sometimes that... Um, lack of time actually creates some creativity in my brain, the pressure cooker. Also, I think if, so I know that I would use money differently than say some of my famous and rich friends. Um, I feel if I had, let's say I had $20 million, uh, I wouldn't just vacation around, you know, Antigua or whatever, because there's nothing funny going to come out of that. Like, I'm not going to do a bit about, you know, when they bring the wrong margarita, you know, like, so that's why I went to New York for, I just, I live in LA, but I went to live in New York for a couple months because I wanted those moments of difficult real life. Um, not that I was going to use those literally to talk about on stage, but it kind of helps me feel in the world. Like in LA, you can get very isolated. You can get very wealthy. You can get very, I only see what I want to see. So Yes, I would use money for the free time and to not say yes to everything, but I would not, I would hopefully not let it, let me get too comfortable because I need to be a little uncomfortable to be creative. Uh, how does that manifest itself like more broadly in your life? How do you, are you, do you, are you a person who is okay with discomfort like, you yes. know, in, in real life as well because of that? I'm get, I'm really good at it now. So the biggest example to me was, but see, it's different. I don't know. When I lived in New York in my 20s, mm-hmm. I was put upon. I was exhausted. I was angry. I was bitter. Everything was terrible. But I also didn't have any money and I was working 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Right. So more, uh, yeah, maybe you were just right. I mean, I mean, maybe right. you were just realistic. So then I went back. <laughs> You're like, you, know, I mean, like, you know what? Even like if I had to live that life now, I would be shitty again. I think I might be kind of Even mad. with the modern day perspective I have. In fact, I think I'd be more shitty because <laughs> I've got used to the nice stuff I have now. <laughs> well, it's funny because I went back to New York and I lived in a, a smaller apartment. Uh-huh. And uh, I lived in a part of Brooklyn that wasn't totally convenient. Mm-hmm. And I wrote my book during the day and I did comedy at night and then I was very inconvenienced by the weather, by, I didn't have a washing machine in my place. I didn't have a car. It was, I took, I, and it was great because I realized it's total. I'm okay. I'm still me. I still have the same right to feel as Zen here as I do on a beach. And I actually noticed a huge shift in my life, probably from dumb things like meditating, but even not even that, just changing my perspective of, Hey, the world doesn't owe me anything. Right. You have all your limbs. Calm down. Be ha- just, what well, can you, can you think of someone else? Like the most, the best thing that happened to me when I was there was, and I felt like this Pollyanna in this world where people were very hardened is I was just excited that people were dancing on the train. Like these wonderful guys that do these insane break dancing moves and they're flipping out, f- literally flipping around the subway bars. And I was, I was talking about it and people were like, well, we don't like them. They, they might kick us in the face, but they didn't. And you're sitting there on this dark train in this like 
poverty-ridden train stop, and these guys get on and they start dancing for you. Right. How is that not the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life? And people are like, shut the fuck up. And maybe I would be hardened if I lived there. But it was stuff like that that I went, oh my God, I'm just around people. I went and sat down. There was a guy sitting on the subway and there was a, a pile of water, but there was a seat there. And the water would be like where my feet would be. And I thought it was just melted snow from something. So I went and I sat down and my feet didn't go right in the water, but they're right there. And this guy in front of me, I don't know why he picked that moment instead of telling me on my way to the seat, he goes, excuse me, that's, that's urine, honey. And I go, oh. And I went, well, I want to sit down. And I'm not going to put my feet in it. So there's some urine there. Right. Who am I to not have urine on? What am I, a princess? Right. I can see some urine. Everything's got urine on it. Yeah. So. so I'm like, fuck it. You know, and I went my one stop. And like, that would have undone me 15 years ago. Right. I would have taken the, it personally. And now yeah, I'm Yeah, that like, would have been like a sign from the universe. Exactly. There you go. That's it. Oh, well, that's the sign. Yeah. And, now, and now my feet are in piss. Yeah. And now I'm like- yeah, there's going to be urine if you put yourself in New York. So if you put yourself in this situation, you better go with this kind of mind. And it'll, the place will kick your ass. But I guess that's what I mean by... Now, I don't know how that directly translates into my creativity, but I know that it made me laugh and it made me feel weirdly proud of myself. I thought of my friends who could never put up with that and who are sunbathing somewhere right now while I was in the urine. And I'm like... Yeah, you badass. I don't know. There was something about it I kind of am proud of, which is not good, but... I uh, had an experience and it's something that kind of like, you know, if I have any, you know, sort of sometimes people ask what's, you know, what's your philosophy? Yeah. Like, like I, I, I hope that like things come out, you know, during the podcast. But one of the ones I'm trying at the moment is just like being mindful of that idea of like, I chose this. Like I am the master yes. of my own destiny. The reason that I'm sitting on this train right now or the reason that like, even in, okay, here's a really silly way of thinking about it. But, uh, I was worried in the lead up to my DVD that I would get a cold sore. I only get a cold sore like about like once or twice a year. Right. But I was just worried that like we're filming this thing after all this time. And I'm this thing and on my It's going to be the week like that. That'll be when it is, right? Yeah. So, and I was starting to worry myself into it, you know, to the point. And then I just got to that point of just going, ah, oh, whatever happens mm -hmm. will happen. Yeah. Like just get on with your day. And be in this moment and, you know, it'll happen or it won't happen or it'll be a funny story or it won't be a funny story or you'll deal with it or, what, you know, that moment of just going, stop, just be in this moment and go, I chose this, I chose this life, I chose to do this thing, yeah. I chose it on this day, you know. And whatever, that's kind of how I felt in the train, like, hey, 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 I'm going into the city right now to just perform at a comedy club and I didn't have to beg someone. I, they, right. Someone called and they're like, oh, we know Jen, come on in. That, I would have dreamt of that 15 years ago on that same damn train. You would have sat next to some piss for that. I think even then I would have been like, of course they know me. I should be on there. <laughs> and fuck this piss. I think I still, had a, <laughs> I still had a bad attitude then. Right. Because I realized my dreams, you're always going to be chasing something. So if you're uh -huh. chasing, like my dreams were, if only this happens, I'll be fine. If only that happens, I'll be fine. Well, guess what? I'm never fine because the thing comes and there's no tomorrow. Right. So now I'm like... I am fine whether I'm sitting on a train with urine on my feet or whether I'm on a throne. I had to, the, the, the best time of my life was right before my career changed and I had negative tens of thousands of dollars in the bank. This was only eight years ago. Yep. And I was temping and I was 32 and it was a bummer. And I was Yeah, walking. so put me, put me in that headspace. You're 32 years old. Mm -hmm. 
you know, you, you, you oh, well, you've, you've, you've got no money. None. You're, you're temping. Mm-hmm. So. Well, the headspace like a year before that was, right. this is miserable. I deserve more. Why is this happening for this person? Still caught up in that okay. cyclical thinking. And it was really weirdly like going, I started listening to 12 step AA speakers. You can listen to them on a podcast uh-huh. and it's these gritty old Everyone's guys. got a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's actual meeting. There's speakers meetings uh-huh. and I swear people should listen. It's these gritty old guys who are kind of, when, when you're the speaker at a meeting, you're talking to the new people who are there a day. Okay. And it's this thing of fucking humble yourself you're going to take a job at Starbucks. You know, you fucked up big time. You got so drunk, you lost your, you know, whatever, lawyer's license. You know, like Robert Downey Jr. in the jail kind of yeah. thing. Like, it's time to humble yourself. You were not owed anything. You know, you deserve good things and then they may not happen. But if you are grateful for just one fucking tiny thing, you will at least feel better. Don't do anything because you think it's magic. Don't you know, be grateful because you expect something. If you can get to the day where you truly know in your heart, I actually think I'm just grateful to be here right now. It will change. But not if you think, oh, and then once I think that it'll change. And it's a very subtle difference. Right. And so it's that- It can't be to try to get some magical result of like, yeah. and now I'm changed. And so I started listening and I do a bunch of other stuff too, but it was, it was just some of those, those things really spoke to me. I'd walk to work listening to them. And I had a car, but I liked walking. And um, it was my little free time in the morning. And I would go to my dumb job. And I I was treated like I was a moron because I was a 32-year-old who was filing alphabetically. And it's a job that a 20-year-old should be doing. And they would just look at me like, honestly, I feel like they were thought maybe I had like a mental deficiency or something. And they'd be like, that was so good. And I'm like, yeah, I just put the F files in the F folder. Like it was, and I would just say like, I'm so grateful for this because this is ridiculous. This is funny and I'm breathing. So I don't know what's going to happen in my life. And then I decided, you know what? I think comedy might just be a hobby. Uh-huh. And do I love it enough to have it as a hobby? And I went, yep, that'll be what I do when I'm not at work. And I just started, uh, was doing the same thing I was doing, getting up at the same shows. But I walked in thinking this is a hobby. Right. And it became so fun again. Okay. And then So it was about changed. rediscovering the fun in your work. Where had the fun so. gone? Was it je- jealousy, resentment? Jealousy, resentment. Where did those emotions come from? Like, why did you? I mean, do you? I mean, I mean, they come very naturally to yeah. young comedians. Like, yeah, you know, we've all experienced them. But, like, yeah. did you just? Did you feel like it wasn't fair? Or yeah, I felt it wasn't fair, and I was wrong. It was totally fair because I didn't work as hard as the other people. Right. I didn't work as smart. Uh-huh. They knew what they were doing, and I didn't yet because I'm more of a hippie that way. I have to talk it out. I have to go through three personas before I land on who I really am. And it was that kind of thing of um, everything was totally, completely fair. I definitely was funny. Oh, but also I would say on that, you know, yeah. to, to add my opinion at least, is that I think we almost have to get over this idea that life is fair as well. Exactly. Like, I mean, there's, And I mean fair in the way that I wasn't getting what I wanted because it wasn't time yet. Right. And the other thing is that life isn't, fair no like that's fair i think that we can fight for it to be more fair and to you know our society to be more equitable and all those sort of things but like if you are playing this game Mm -hmm. thinking that it's fair 
Well, I'm, yeah, not, I'm not saying that you should try to not be a fair person yourself and everything. This no, no, is not no. an excuse to be a, you know. But I have friends who are like, I'm funny. Why isn't it happening? And I go, right. oh, did you get a contract when you started that yeah. said this will happen this if you're funny? This will happen really fair. It's not fair. You might never make it. it. You can be brilliant and never make it. It's not fair. And life's not fair. Yeah. Like there's there's no point going in the Hunger Games and just challenging everyone to a duel. Like other people are fighting with knives. And like, yeah. th- like you know, and that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to change the system. Right. But, I, but if you think that life is fair, you are going to be continually disappointed Well, every another day. thing I learned is like, hey, um, why did I add a timetable to what I love doing? If it's what I love doing, right. then I'll do it. Maybe I'll make it when I'm 80. And I know me. I probably will. I know me. I'll, if I am ever hugely famous, it's going to happen when I'm 60 and I'm tired. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, I want to stop touring. I'm not going to be able to. Because I think life is funny. At least mine as a white middle class person. Not a lot of problems. I find my life to be very funny. I always get things... Uh, after I don't want them anymore. And I'm like, oh, God damn it. I would have killed for this 10 years. I don't really want it right now. Oh, fine. I have to do it. Like it's, that's totally what happens to right. me. So I was, I was introducing this timetable that, that I had to get famous when other people were, or even other people who did different things to me or whatever. Right. And it's like, that might not be, if I had gotten fame when I was 25, I'd be dead, a drug addict in jail. I never did drugs, but I would have started. I, right. I know me. I would have not been able to handle it. I would have thought I deserve this and I'm better than everyone. And I was, that's an, so, in, yeah. that's an interesting perspective because I, often think in life that the person that you become can be very influenced by, um, you know, other people you worked with. You can see, mm-hmm. I, I, I've often seen people become things that I know I could have become. Do you know? Like you, yes. And then you almost watch them do it and go, oh, actually, you know what? That, I don't quite like that. Yes. And so you choose, make your own choices about the way that you want to live your life. It doesn't yeah. mean that their choices weren't right for them. Yeah. You just shape yourself by what you, you, know, you see and that sort of thing. And I understand that there are times in my life – and well, probably there were times in my life where that did happen. Yeah. Um, but also the fact that it was a bit more of a slow burn for me. You yeah. Know, slow I, burn, yeah. I, I've been happy with that because I feel like I'm much more adjusted to like, deal with it than I would have been if I – and time goes like, on. I, would, I, I don't remember. I could have been a really her. terrible person. If I was yeah. like Eddie Murphy funny at 21. Oh, boy. Like, might not have been the right personality to handle it. Right. I wouldn't have been. Yeah. And There's he might no not way. be either. Well, it's also true. Like, I'm not still carrying around that same resentment I was when I was 23. So I don't even remember being that upset. It's not in my DNA. All my molecules are different. So I'm kind of like, oh, thank God. I mean, you know, at least I'm not still carrying around that. It's not like a, a, a you know, a, a, a bone problem or, right. or or having bad vision where you always have that like that went away and i don't remember it so thank god I, like i just don't have those bad feelings well but, it, john yeah. cleese of all people talks about the idea of like you know that people always think oh yeah it must be great to you know but he was like monty python and uh faulty towers and then that's all anyone ever wants to talk about forever yeah like two like, of the greatest things of all ago. time but he's like i've been doing other shit yeah like, you know, that's what we all are like. And as an artist, yeah. like, you know, that idea of that people would forever want to talk about, like, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't mind one thing that people forever wanted to talk about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. But you know what I mean? But it's, right. I know what you mean. It's that, well, I haven't, this is more about the type of personality and the philosophy. When you said, um, you look at someone and go, oh, I, I could have done that. And then you go, oh, you know what? I don't think I would have liked it. I'm going to tell a story as though it happened to me just because uh, it's easier. Of course. But uh, this actually happened to a friend of mine. So I'm at a party and I'm stressed out because it's a Hollywood party and there's schmoozing. And I'm, I'm stressed out on the balcony uh, smoking a cigarette, which I'm not. But, you know, and this girl who's, you know, a, a well-known comedian 
graces the room. Oh, right. the way she comes in the room, I'm watching her from the balcony smoking. I'm hiding. No one knows who I am because I haven't introduced myself, but she comes in. Roger, what are you doing? Michael, how's your kids? Stacy, you come on. Oh, stop it, Glenn. And then she comes out, joins me on the balcony, unravels, takes a cigarette and goes, I can't fucking do this anymore. I have such anxiety. And I go, oh my God. Right. So see, part of me, before I knew that story, went, I could have done what she did and I want what she has. Then I went, I don't want that. I don't want to collapse on the balcony with a cigarette. Who I am is I'm not dumb. I know how to work a room a little bit, not as well as her, but I also don't have to collapse in a heap either because I'm not being myself. So I'm a little bit of both in that room. I'm the, hey, Glenn. And then Glenn's like, why are you smoking and anxious at the same time? And I'm like, (laughs) okay, yeah. So I'm a little bit of all of that, which is why someone like me, I don't think I can fool him as well. I'm a little bit transparent, and, which is great for being on stage, is not great for business side of stuff. Uh, got, I don't it, think I instill a lot of confidence right. in people. I do on stage. It comes back to this idea again. You were talking about you picking, choosing little bits and pieces. You know things that work. You know whether it be from the Alcoholics Anonymous yeah. or whether it be from other sort of. And this is, I, I always think you can just steal from wherever, like you get the best advice for you. And my favorite one is from the theme song to different strokes, which is what might be right for you may not be right. For <laughs> Did you always know that? Right. Did that stick out to you when you're younger or you just realize just as day? I get older, uh, the yeah. more I think about it, the thing that I don't think we explain to people properly is that you've got to listen to what you want. Yeah. You've got to listen to what will make you happy and what's being what sort of person, what sort of decisions you'll be comfortable with. Right. Not what other people do or what other people, you know, judge as being the right thing or the wrong thing. If you listen to yourself, and again, it's like, you know, goes back to that idea you say of having the, you know, the presence of mind or the clarity or whatever to be able to make this, to listen to yourself and go, well, what do I want? What right. makes me happy? And sometimes what you can't What do I want my down. day to look like? And what do I? What yeah. sort of people do I want to be surrounded by? And you know, what do I want people to think of me? And, and sometimes what you sort have of the house? luxury of doing that, right? Like because you no, have to take any job, but you could still think that way. And that's another thing I've learned is the one thing I can control is my thoughts. Right. I get to think whatever I want. And I'm not being delusional, mental case, but. Like, no, I don't even mean thinking. I hate when people say to me, you're so positive. I go, it's not positivity. No. It is a serenity to what I cannot control the result of this thing. Right. I have to do it because I love it or I'm going to keep getting hurt. The people I see not getting ahead in the way they want, every time they get something, they go, this is it. This is it. I go, oh, no, stop doing it. You're doing that right. thing again. It's not it. And if it is... It's not going to make you feel better. But I'm and also, promise. if it is, it comes with its own shit. Exactly. And no right? one believes that who hasn't had a thing. Yeah. Everyone I know that has, has yet to even jump to level one is like, no, 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 but I could deal with that because I'd be happy about the thing. I go, no, you wouldn't. You would think I finally got here and now I have to deal with this shit. I go, so you got to be happy, as I call it. I call those that year that I was temping, sitting in a pile of wood chips. I was just happy. I just got to the point where I woke up, me, Jen Kirkman, not comedian, not temp, me, human breathing, happy. I was happy. Just happy to be alive. It was that, it had to get that simple. I did not define myself as not having things and did not define myself as any little success. I was like, I'm just a human moving through the world. My one job is not comedy and it's not uh, tempting. My one job is to not be a dick and not, I mean, make people happy, but to be not negative. So try to be a, a ball of light. That's my one job. Let's say there's a God or a universe controller or just a universe or whatever. My one job is to not throw a a wrench into the universe with my negative shit. That's my, that's, I got down to that. And I thought that every day for a year. And then because I was like that, I was able 
to take an opportunity that a year before I would have been like, fuck that. I'm not doing that. That's why it wasn't because magic happened. It was because I trained myself to not be bitter about things. And when given an opportunity, I wasn't like, why should I be that? I should be this. I went, okay. And then it worked out and it turned out to be where I needed to be. I had pushed for so long against it. it, Like I was, you know, especially when I got the job at, at, at Chelsea lately, which if people don't know is like a comedic show about making fun of celebrities. I thought I was smarter than that. And, uh, I wanted to be on daily show forever. And I had maybe 11 auditions in my lifetime. They kept coming to me to the point where it got to the head writer emailed me himself. It's between you and someone else. Like, and I never got it. No, someone else got it, right? Yeah. Always someone else. I never got it. And then I got presented with that opportunity at Chelsea lately. And I thought, without any, listen, without prejudice, I'm going to write a packet without prejudice. Right. I'm going to write an audition script, you know, and I got it. And I didn't go, oh, this is all I could get. This isn't me. I just went, oh my God, I'm working. Right. Oh, how great. So my, my, my job is to be a ball of light on this earth, not be a dick. Oh, and I might be able to buy some fun stuff. I got some money now. I paid off the debts and I went, oh, this one, and Daily Show came back to me again and I didn't get it again. And I went, who got it that time? Someone else again? Someone else again. And I <laughs> You have had such a bad run against someone else. Someone else is really fucking right. me. But I went, I'm not supposed to be there because guess what? I know I was on a show that let me be me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to talk about celebrities if I didn't want to. Right. And I got the stand-up audience because of it. If I, maybe if I were on Daily Show and I just did political segments right. and then people came and saw my stand-up and saw that it was about divorce and marriage and sex, they go, I don't want to hear this. Maybe it would have been the totally wrong thing for me. Now I know that that was not right. But at a certain point in my life, I felt bad about it. I was pushing. I was pushing. This is where I need to be. Fuck this shit. It's like, hey, if I'm interested in politics, great. I can do that when I get home at night. And now I'm like, I don't even care. But so it was that very like being open to something and going, maybe that's where I need to be or make it what I want. Or maybe there's no general plan, but don't don't be a dick someone's giving you something uh it's interesting that you never look at the opportunity cost i think uh of any of these things you think of them as being amazing all these opportunities mm-hmm. you know oh yes you know, right the grass is always greener on the other side yeah this yeah. would be amazing and then you suddenly well oh yeah like th- that example that you uh like I've had things over the years that have had specific audiences. Yeah. And one of the things you start to notice is you get constrained in your stand-up by your audience. And you love yeah. that they're there, but I always love that there's a mixed audience. Yeah. Because like I want to, you know, I don't want to be constrained to talk about one thing. Yeah. Like, you know, and suddenly your audience can start to control your work almost. Yeah. Like, well, you know. and it's funny because my reps still had that same attitude of Daily Show is more important and better than Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Sure, Daily Show is going to win the Emmy every year. But I'm telling you, I'm in the right place for what I want. If right. I just wanted to be a writer, yeah, maybe Daily Show is a little bit of a better show. But I what don't just want to be What might be right for you may not be right for some. Yeah, and so I want to be a performer. So I don't think Daily Show is the right thing for me. And I think every time the opportunity came up and my agents would call, they'd act like, here's the lifeboat coming to rescue you from Chelsea Lately. And I would say to them, you guys, I've moved past it. I already know I need to be here. Right. I'm making – it's how I got a book deal. It's, it's because I – I had exposure on that show. Women watched that show, Women by Books. I got a New York Times bestseller that would not have happened on Daily Show. It just wouldn't have. And, and it's like, you guys, didn't you see how well this worked out? We're still taking this train all the way to the end. I'm not leaving because I'm going to jump off and do all this shit. And I did everything I said I was going to do. But they would still have this attitude of, well, just write the packet just in case. And I, since I'm a, 
Okay, sure. I would write it. And I would say, but you understand, I'm going to write it shitty maybe because I don't have a lot of time. Right. Because I have a job. Yeah. So it's That I like to put all my energy into because it's my job. And I said, you know, there's something to think about at a certain point. where Plus, you you know what? Someone else is going to get it. So that someone, someone else, else is on a street at the time. Daily Show <laughs> against me. But I just said to them, but they would, they would, it was almost like, uh, and I know this is really pretentious sounding, but it's almost like um, a hyperactive Wall Street guy ringing the bell next to a Buddha. Like they're all hyper, right. like, hey, this might happen. I'm going, I don't care, you guys. Right. If it does, then I'll have the craziest choice in the world to make. But I kind of hope it doesn't because I just have a feeling that there's a, that's a problematic place. I, I know some shit and it's, it's not perfect. And I liked my soup of uh, what I, I liked my problems at Chelsea lately more than, than I, what I heard the problems were at daily show. It, it wouldn't be for me. So tell me then about like, you, when you're working in a writer's room, yeah. like that to me, cause I've never really done that. I mean, I've like been on shows that have, you know, had researchers yeah. and writers and stuff, but like, I've never been, part of you know like just as part of the writer's room on a show like in that in that same way yeah um what's the dynamic like in a room like that is it like is it it, Mm. you know do 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 it i don't know i'd like to tell me i think it's interesting to to know what that work dynamic i think it's different than any other late night show also all of us were misfits we weren't harvard writers we weren't a lot of us it was our first writing job and we were older a lot of us were over 35 there was no young 20 something in the room we were all older we're all misfits. So it was this beautiful thing. So it was Breakfast Club. Yeah, it was Breakfast Club. <laughs> and it was this beautiful thing of like, hey, we're funny, but no one had ever hired us before. Okay. Misfit Toys Island. You know, that. So that dynamic was good. But same politics. Maybe you have a producer as things go on and people get more famous. Maybe the producer gets afraid to pitch her, you know, the star an idea and she's not in the room when you come up with something. And he goes, well, you pitch it to her. And then... You know, it's like people start to slowly throw each other under the bus. It's still political. There's still all that kind of stuff. Um, the way we, we wrote was we would throw out jokes and kind of yell them out on top of each other and take our own notes. In other late night shows, you write alone a hundred jokes, send them to the host, whose name is probably Jimmy. That think every host is named Jimmy now. Yeah. And then you get them rejected or not. So we just wrote as a group. Um, my middle name's James, by the way, so I'm changing my name to Will Jimmy Anderson. <laughs> so and I'll can... be introduced as Jimmy on stage Well, no, now. James is good because James Corden now has a, a late night show. Okay. Yeah. And I'm from another country, yeah, so, so you I, it could have been me. <laughs> it should have been. <laughs> it should have been else. me. So oh, I, I thought he's someone else again. But I had I had another experience working in a writer's room on a sitcom, and it was uh-huh. very different, totally different. It was felt like working in a bank. It was very uh, married with kids, everybody. Uh, really very appropriate. No one talked about sex. No one, you know, grabbed each other's butt. You know, the Chelsea Lately writer's room was very inappropriate. We were all very close. I wasn't at this other place I worked for a little while. Not not like that. So How it's do you different. get along with people in that sort of office environment? Because, you know, when you're a stand-up, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's a solo occupation. You're yeah. dealing with different people all the time in different environments. You know, you get into yeah. clubs, you're on planes, you're going to radio shows, you're going to television shows, you're dealing with audience members. Like, you've got to be reasonably adaptable to dealing with people. But Yeah. Well, with the Chelsea writers room, we were such family. There was days my writing partner would fight. He made me cry. I left work that day. We had stuff that went on. I mean, there was drama. There was people crying, people fighting, shit talking. It was a real family because we were kind of raw nerve kind of people. Uh But it would be, but like a family and not a fucked up one. It would be fine the next day. Right. And no one was hiding shit or sucking it down, stuffing it down. It really was just like, 
Yeah, I sit next to you all day long. You drive me fucking crazy because I'm used to being alone. And this is weird for me to be writing. Right. So I, sorry, I said that. Well, I cried because I fuck, felt like fucking crying yesterday. You know, it was like that. <laughs> uh-huh. But in the, the other writer's room, the more sitcom world, you, none of that. Do not take any of that to work. Right. You cannot react that way. But there would be no, no one was pushing my buttons because no one knew me. So it wasn't that kind of environment. Like, you know, it was a uh, very... I, I swear to God, I might as well have worked in a bank. It was the same level of excitement. It was a lot of quiet, a lot of thinking, a lot of being polite, a lot of, uh, oh, how is your child doing? Oh, we're building a fence today. I always say the secret about <laughs> Hollywood is that people think it's all these liberal vegans running around being wild. Not in sitcom writers' rooms. Those are where your most normal people work, and they have children, and they talk about basically every writer's room for most sitcoms devolves into uh, talk about construction on your house <laughs> and i swear to god everyone i know that's written in certain kinds of writers rooms uh-huh. maybe not like brooklyn 99 or parks and rec but more the old school sitcoms right that's what people are doing it's it's people who've been millionaires for 15 years right they just are so comfortable that's what they talk about so ragtag group was more chelsea lately more like oh my god this might have been the last job last copter out of saga i mean really like a lot of us but a lot of us had a lot of pride too. We didn't like it when other people said that to us. Wow, you guys got lucky with this. I mean, you're old for show business. We're like, hey, we're fucking great. We were, <laughs> we were doing stand up for 15 years before this and we were funny, you know? So it was that kind of thing of this shouldn't have happened, but right. we all got jobs. But that's, it fit in. That's why I loved being there because it was, my life had worked out perfectly. So that felt normal to me. Right. And it was, I mean that show itself, you know, had a had a particular moment too, like of time where like the, people hadn't really seen anything like it that had been yeah. that successful. Well, the fact you know that I mean? we got like, to go to Australia because people there knew it and right. tape episodes there, and we didn't realize, you know, we don't meet and we 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 were writers first and foremost. We appeared right. on the show, but we were treated, and and perhaps this is something that drove us crazy: is our producers treated us as writers. There was no talent. Okay. Um specialness we're we almost used, we used to refer to ourselves as pieces of shit right as a joke like oh no i'm just a piece of shit like because we felt a little bit right. um kept in our place mm-hmm. sometimes not by chelsea but by some of the producers right. and so um when we we never saw the audience and we went to australia we would do meet and greets after the show at, at the studio and people were screaming and coming up to us and go, we're like, what the fuck? Like, we were just going back to our office and looking up topics for the next day. And suddenly <laughs> we're being treated like we're the Beatles. And I'm like, right. these people are on the other side of the world. And they think we're like, do they know we're just pieces of shit in this? Like, so, so it was weird. So yeah, that so show definitely that ex- had its moment. So what was that experience like? Did you feel like, does that, because I mean, that, it must be a weird, because you don't, don't know like when it. it's going to start. I do not like it. I was like. And that's why I never really got recognized on the show. I feel uh-huh. like I had this orb of sh- this veil around me that I would go through airports with, with the people from the show. And the smaller of the town you go to in America, the more crazy people are for sure. you. So there would be running after us in the airport sometimes. And uh, people would hand me the camera and go, will you take a picture of all of us? Because they thought I was just a friend of... I never got recognized. It was this... And I was so grateful for it because I said... This is going to help me because I won't be too pigeonholed. Right. Um, because I would say, I would say, what does people wanting to take my picture get me? Does it mean they bought my book? Does it mean they're buying tickets? It doesn't. Sometimes the people that get most excited to see you at the airport 
they're never going to come to a show. They just like you from the TV and they're just like, you know, so um, it, it wasn't weird for me because I never got recognized and I would just walk away. I would just, I, I, after that experience in Sydney, a couple screams, a couple pictures, and I just went right back to the office. I was like, I'm not, do, I don't like, I don't like that kind of attention. I uh, will tell you a little story. And uh, if this guy's listening, uh, I don't mean this to be offensive. It's just uh. a funny story in relation to what you just said. Was, uh, so I was, I was doing some shows in Perth and I've got off at the airport and there's like a guy waiting at the airport like with a, like a photo, like a you know, printed out like really nice photo and he wanted me to sign it and whatever, oh. right? And I'm like, oh, this doesn't really happen for me. Like right. I'm not a big enough person that anyone's come to – coming to the airport with a like a photo from me to sign right <laughs> so i was like oh yeah okay well yeah i mean good on you yeah like i don't know how you knew when i was getting in but i yeah, guess that's weird like was he waiting like, all day he knew the flight i, I don't know. know i didn't ask but yeah. anyway like anyway he's hit me up like uh, on the email and gone hey you know this is me can i get a ticket to the show and i gave him a ticket to the show and i was like i got nothing out of that <laughs> Right. <laughs> like, I signed the photo. Which he could sell. He probably won't. But and then saying. I also gave and him then a he ticket got a free to thing. the show. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. What are you, like, what are you getting out of it? <laughs> <laughs> so it's that thing of like, here's my other philosophy. If you believe, and it's not, I didn't make this up, but if you believe all the good, you have to believe all the bad. Now, I like getting... Oh, okay. That's I, interesting. I yep. like... I, it's just a good way to keep it even. Like, so that you're not... I always say like, it's good to be an anchor in the water, not a buoy. I'm not going to get thrown every time something's good. Okay. High highs, low lows. I don't like that. Keep it. Now, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to not be, um, I'm not going to, I'm able to say I did a good job. I can do that. And I can say that was good. Or I feel proud of this, but that's it. And then it's that now on to the next thing. You know, I've been very level-headed about my books and stuff like that. It's like, that's great. Now on to the next thing. I could always lose it. Not living in fear though. I could always lose it, but this doesn't mean who, who I am is not, is I'm literally just a pile of skin and bones with like a heart and a head. Like my real life is so fraught with other things going on. Like that I don't, I really think of comedy as what I do. And uh, I don't think of it as who I am, even though it is my job. So I don't want to sit there and I want to get praised for things that I like. Like if I like when people compliment my clothes, that means a lot to me because I love, I take a lot of interest in clothes and I'm very amateur at dressing myself. So I get really excited if people like how I look, but not because it validates me. And I'm like, I don't mean my looks. I mean, the way, yeah, the way you put it together, the way I get you excited about that. It. If some, I would be uncomfortable with Louis CK level of being deified where he writes an email to right. his email list and it's printed by the New Yorker about oh, no. how then, much he loves small comedy clubs. And I would, then, and I would then be people horrified. like pick it apart. Like the idea that every time you send out an email to your email list, that there would be public discussion on it and that like it's people would stupid. take different bits out and repurpose it it's as articles. It's the quickest way for people to see you as not funny anymore, even if you're still the same old funny person. Right. And it's not like Louis sent it out going, by the way, here's the, no. here's the 10 commandments. He like no. sent out a, like an, it was, he was snowed in and he sent out an email to plug his new special. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and I've seen other comics who are, acting like it's the Ten Commandments. Right. And I don't ever want to be the Pied Piper. Uh-huh. Do not follow me. Come to me. I'm going to be on the side of the road just like you guys all the time with questions. Why did I fuck this up? Come to me when your car breaks down. 
your car of life breaks down at the comedy club. Spend some time with me. I'll always be on the side of the road just as confused as you guys. And then drive off going, I feel better because someone knows how I feel. Don't ever come to me for the answers. I'm not the Wizard of Oz. I'm not saying anyone thinks this. I don't want to get that way with comedy. I always want to be seen as your favorite person on the side of the road when the car breaks down. Yeah. Do not take your car in for me to fix. You're not, yeah, not you're not, you're not Jiffy Lube. No. You're just someone who can give you a, like a cup of tea and uh, keep you company. While I don't Jiffy even think Lube I can give them tea. Probably not tea. No, they'll end if up they consoling me. If they already have me. tea, you can. <laughs> What's going to happen is they'll end up consoling me by the right. side of the road. I'll give you tea. Yeah. And they had leave, a thermos when they wrote down. They'll leave it. Are you okay? Yeah. I mean, sometimes that's the reaction I get and I get upset, but I go, God, that's so much better than people hanging on my every word, I think. You know? Okay. I've got a bunch of other things yeah. I need to talk to you about. Uh, but um, I want to have a pause. Okay. We mentioned, uh, you know, you mentioned God or a, another life force or a spirit or whatever. Do you believe in any of that? Were you raised religious? I was, but I was not tormented by it. So what I believe now, I say a bunch of different things. I say, I don't believe in God, but God believes in me. I say silly, <laughs> I say silly things like, um, like, for example, I grew up in the Catholic Church. God, thank God. Thank whoever. I was not overly influenced or overly tormented by it. Right. I don't know what it was. You don't have a horror story. No. And I didn't go to Catholic school, so maybe that's what it is. Uh I feel like a lot of atheists that I know personally, their atheism is as staunch as their parents' Catholicism was, where I just gun to my head. They're not atheists as in they don't believe in like Jesus or God or whatever, more that they're angry at Jesus or God. Yeah. And and they they go, I don't think there's a man in the sky. I go, well, I don't either. I'm not stupid. Yeah. And of course, science rules my life. Uh, I gun to my head, do I believe in God? No, I don't think there's a heaven or a hell. Of course not. But I don't care really. Right. Like I'm, It doesn't affect your day to day. No, but one of the greatest things, again, this 12-step shit that I love is act as if. So sometimes... I will just take out the bit where you say you're not an alcoholic and then it'll sound like a really important I know, podcast. Right? <laughs> like, the and way she just kept talking about her alcoholism, then people see you drinking on stage. Well, They're like, I don't, oh, she's so tormented. I want people to understand that... Um, I'm not even in denial. Like I'm not an alcoholic. Like you can go, like I've been to Al-Anon, which is another 12 step program for just people who have trouble with, uh, being human. You know, Uh it's like, there's no addiction. It's like the human condition is sometimes too much for some poor souls like me. So I've been to meetings like that, but, um, but so, but, but anyway, so one of the things that I kind of like is, so I went atheist for a while where, um, there was just a, vo- but I didn't even believe in anything. I didn't even believe in like good energy. You know what I mean? Right. It didn't work for me because it just allowed me to go negative and like into like a spiral. So once in a while, I've been on planes where the turbulence is so bad and I'm, I'm just in that, maybe I haven't had enough to eat or I'm a little tired. Uh, I don't have the mind or the rationalization to go. It's just turbulence. Sometimes I've been like, this is it. And I think of, in my mind, I'll, I'll have to go back and explain what Jesus was to me, but I'll think Jesus. Right, let me let me stop and go back. Okay. So in in Catholic church or whatever, for some reason the only thing that got in was that this guy Jesus was hanging out with whor- he was Johnny Cash. He's right. hanging out with prisoners, whores, whatever. Sure. And I was really into Johnny Cash as a yeah. kid. My dad taught me all about him. I knew false. I know. I knew all that. Yeah. I really thought Jesus was like a Johnny Cash figure, and I just thought I like just like that he would start every sermon with "I'm Jesus Christ." <laughs> <laughs> How similar in a weird Jason. They are though. They're good, and I, I like that analogy because yeah. he was a guy who hung out with, like you know. Well, yeah, he wasn't too up himself, you know. Well, there is this interesting. So back then, did I believe he was God? Like, 
Yeah, part of me wanted to believe that mystery when I was little, that he came back from the dead. Sure, it's a good story. It Now, I know some religious people that say, that, that believe in the magic of Jesus, and they go, if I find out that that's not real, then I don't follow him. I go, really? Oh, I follow him the way I follow John Lennon or whatever. You know, like, uh, I don't follow. So anyway, when I was little, I wanted to believe in the magic because it's fun. Right. I, I wasn't tortured by it. I really thought, hey, this guy said he forgives everything, and he's not like his dad who's God. Right. He's this, like, cool guy, like... Yeah, Jesus is awesome, you know? And so um, that's how I felt. But I I never thought about it or talked about Jesus or anything. Just in my private moments when I would think, hey, you know who's on my side? Fucking Jesus. Jesus. And it was cool. (laughs) And it it, it stops your blood pressure right there. You had a friend in Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And it was was as simple to me as the Doobie Brothers song, Jesus is Just All Right. It would lower my blood pressure. It's just a way of self-soothing of parenting in ways that I didn't get parented all that kind of stuff, right? So then I get older. I'm definitely atheist. I don't think Jesus is a magical person. And I actually have read this great book, Zealot, which is about the historical Jesus. And there was 50 of him. Right. You know, he was um, uh, Abby Hoffman. He was a radical. He was, and when the church needed to do this certain thing, they put him together and pieced together a million different people, made up this thing. He's not real. I mean, he was a real person, I think. There was this there was this guy who did these things and they would perform miracles, quote unquote, not like to fuck with people or fool them, but to kind of get some attention so that then you could hear what they're saying, which is right. we've got to take the money out of the temples. Like he was a political radical. Right. It was a, it was a publicity stunt. Yeah. He was literally yeah. a political radical. He was a socialist. He was, he, he was Russell Brand, if anything, you know. So the reason they get the Foo Fighters to play at the Democratic Convention, <laughs> exactly. you know what I mean? Like you still got to add a bit of showbiz to get people interested. And I think too, like, so... So that's, you know, obviously, I don't even know if this person fully existed. He's sure. bits and pieces of all these things. He might things. be a composite person. Super Jesus. Super Jesus. So, but because I was always taught to go to another place in a time of strife, yep. there have been moments on an airplane as a grown-up who does not believe in God necessarily, yep. but doesn't care that she doesn't. I've thought of Jesus and said, just please Will you just sit with me right now? Will you just hold this? Another way of mindfulness or psychology is uh, sometimes when I'm stressed about something, if, if I have a friend who's stressed, I go, pretend it's a purse. I'll hold it. So you know. You know how sometimes you want to hold on to your stress because uh-huh. it validates your concern? Sure. I'll say to myself, you know what? I'm right to be angry about this, but I don't have to feel anger right now because it's not going to serve me. So I'm going to pretend that someone else is holding my anger like a purse. So it's there. Oh, it's real. I'm just not dealing with it right now. And that's how I do things. And sometimes I use God if I'm really panicked. It's just that, like, it's in my DNA. So I've been on planes that I think are crashing, and I'm like, Jesus. And it calms me down. And then once it's over, I'm like, yeah, fuck that. There's no Jesus. But it doesn't matter. It helped me in that moment. And when people go, would you believe in God because it helps you? Yeah. Yeah. That's how I do it. I believe in emergency Jesus. (laughs) Emergency. And I think it's almost... In case of emergency, break glass Jesus. I I think it's almost a little racist when white people get too caught up with their atheism. You know, we we brought people to this country on slave ships and Negro spirituals. People had their faith. That's all they fucking had. And I'm not going to tell everyone how dumb they are to have faith or to rely on something when they're hurting. Like... I just think it's there's a tinge of racism to it to me. There's that also it's, accidental. That, it's also stupid when people you try to use those examples of like, oh, you know, like Hitler was an atheist or so and so, you know, killed in the name of religion. Yeah. You're like, okay, let's just agree, don't kill people. Yeah, I'm not talking whether about religion. It's, whether you don't yeah. believe in religion or do believe in religion. Yeah. And then people can you know, believe there are other things. It, well, it's funny when I got into therapy and I said, uh, oh, my family, you know, no problems there. Mm, yeah. 
And she was that- and, she, and she just started planning overseas holidays <laughs> yep. based on the scab that she was going to unpick. Exactly. <laughs> she was like, I'm going to have to open a new notebook. That was a therapist's <laughs> dream to hear someone so adamantly go, like nothing. No, no family problems that I can think. So here we go, 10 years later. We're still- <laughs> she starts flipping through a boat catalog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 10 years later, we're still unraveling the myriad problems that my family has caused me. And what's so great about it is I learned to reparent myself with my own techniques of self-soothing and being uh-huh. my own parent in my own head. And I still have parents and they're wonderful, but they don't parent me anymore right. in the way that I am not emotionally needy on them. I take care of myself emotionally and not in a sad way or defensive way in this, I know how to soothe myself. I don't run to them to keep making the same mistakes. That's a really interesting thing, Yeah, Jen. so that like to that. me is that, religious. That insight is also a, a brilliant one, which is that... Sometimes I think we get confused with the idea that we need to, like, of course, the minute we turn 17 and leave home, we're not going to, like, suddenly not need to be parented ever again. Now, sometimes that might be practically by your parents. You might need their help. But sometimes later in life, you might need to just find a way to parent yourself because you know what your parents like and sometimes you look at people who are still going back to their parents for parenting they should be doing to themselves yes i see it in my family i have a sister who will sometimes tell my parents about something with money you know like if she doesn't have a lot of money but is going to use some to do this thing that maybe she shouldn't do but she's taking a risk right i go why do you tell them that you're not asking them for money so you're still getting their approval no i was just talking to them i said no you're not you're Deep down, getting their approval. I don't tell them anything anymore. And, An and our relationship is better. One for me is, well, because I'm an adult. And that's yeah. why I always think this with my parents. I, I like being an adult. Yeah. I like paying my own bills. I like, you know, working to earn a living and having some control of my own life. And yeah. I, I appreciate that that's a luxury. And, you know, I've had privilege to help that, you know, happen. But I like being able to do that yeah. and make my own decisions. But, like, this idea of, like... In my family, there was an issue over, and I won't go into details, but it was just an, over an inheritance at one stage. Uh-huh. And in my head, I, could, I couldn't even fathom the idea that people, no one owes me any money. Right. My parents raised me. And now I've been an adult for ages having my own job and life. And so You never no thought one, that money was coming to you anyway, so I don't, who cares? Right. Yeah. And it's weird that even like that I think that I deserve that money. Right. It's not my money. Right. I would rather my parents just fucking like, you know, it'd be great if they knew when they were going to die and they're happy to spend. I don't care what they do with it. Yeah. Spend it. Have a great time. That's what I want for you guys with your money. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do my own stuff. It's okay. You raised me. Okay. You gave yeah. me opportunities. I'll work it out from here. You know? Well, I think too, like with the self-soothing thing, like what I, <clears throat> so what later is my religion is also for people who don't even like to like passively talk about religion or spirituality is so the the practical side of it is that I am I self-soothe I do mindfulness I do all that but every once in a while just like a kid I don't want to parent myself right so I like to think of someone out there uh-huh. and it's not a god or a jesus I just go the universe I say things like the universe or right. whatever or maybe I say a prayer sometimes when I'm really just at a loss I go I have the worst ideas and I have to get on my knees and pray I go I have the worst ideas can you give me a good one of yours? And it's just, right. God, I feel so good. And then I get up and I go about my day. Uh-huh. Because sometimes I have to put it on another being. Right. It's, I am still, by the way, parenting myself when I do that. It's a little trick I do with myself because sometimes you don't want to carry them. I don't want to parent myself. Right. Okay, well, go talk to, the, to God then. That's why you need a parent. Yeah. Because so, you, you're at the, that, that moment, you're being a child. I'm being a child. Right. So I go, okay, so I get to go to pretend person. And it works. 
Now, do I get the answers? No, but I just, it relieves the fucking stress. That's all I'm saying. Right. I hate when people think that anyone who has any spiritual thing is saying they're actually receiving answers. No, maybe something happens and you read into it and go, that was an answer. Who cares? It relieves the stress right. in that moment. I'm just talking about not being stressed so I can go out into the world and be good to people. That's all I'm talking about. Like, and yeah, for me, exercise alone or drinking water, that doesn't relieve the stress. Sometimes I have to just blah, talk to someone that isn't there and just say, will you help me? And that's it. It sounds like also though, over your life, you know, you've talked to people who are there as well. You talk about going to like some groups and you talk about going to therapy. Yeah. Like, have you found those helpful experiences? Like, it's interesting to me, the idea of therapy, and I'm certainly not anti it. I've done it mm -hmm. at different times in my life, but I do certainly have an opinion that at least for me, it was something that I did until I felt like I dealt with whatever it was that I needed yeah. to deal with. And then I didn't feel like there was any basis i didn't feel like it was actually helpful for me to like for me yeah. it felt like look this car runs pretty well i'm sure if i took it in weekly and you poked around enough you'd find some shit that that's we where could i'm replace. at right now but, that's where I'm at right now. but you know i mean the car's working fine and if it starts to break down a, a bit again yeah. i'll come back in but you know what we're only creating well it sounds like you know it sounds like i've been in a long time because they say 10 years but it's really yeah. only an hour a week so it's every other week sure. so it's not that much but it's i am at the point now where the the one thing i went in for uh has been kind of worked on, get tuned up every once in a while, you know, but, uh, yeah, I kind of just, now it's just habit. And, and so I'd like to kind of, I'm going to, it's in my to, mental to-do list to kind of rethink it. Cause I actually don't even think you should be with the same one for too long. Right. Um, I don't know if I'm just trying to get away with something. I don't know. I might try a different one, but, um, I also, but I like groups, you know, I've always loved, I remember when I was little, my mom, I didn't have to go to Catholic school, but I had to do this thing called CCD. And I don't even know what it stands for. Mm -hmm. But every Monday night for an hour, you have to, per the church, go to these classes. I mean, you don't have to, but... Um, and it was just like dumb classes. Like, I don't know. I can't even believe what... Like, I don't even remember. Like, it's not even like hardcore Bible study or anything like that. Right. It's just like, be nice to people. Like, help your neighbor. Like, what does this mean in the I mean, I don't remember one damn thing from it. Okay. But I remember one thing. And I know this is going to make me sound, again, like an alcoholic. Okay. My mom and I left the church to go to the parking lot. So she picked me up. She came into the get me in the classroom. Sorry, that sounded like that was going to be the way you paused. I was yeah. like, your, your mom and I, we left the church. Oh, no, 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 not like because that. Because I was drinking too much no. as a six-year-old. Well, and my dad, you know, left the church because he had some issues with priests. And, okay. my, and my mom has left. So they don't at all think, right. and they don't even go to church anymore. They're just like, whatever, it's in your heart. I'm uh -huh. like, thanks for that. <laughs> thanks for that now. But I'm actually glad I had what I had because I just had a good experience with it. Right. Not a good experience, but it, it didn't do anything to me. Right. Thank God I had Johnny Cash to see me through. You know, so my mom and I left the church, and uh, just that night, I mean, walking in the parking lot, it's dark out. I smell coffee. I smell donuts. Uh -huh. There's a light on in the basement. I go, what's that? My mom goes, those are where the alcoholics are. I go, yeah. oh, my God, it's all coming to me as I talk to you. And I go, well, what do they do? She goes, well... They help each other not to drink and they meet, you know, once a week and they talk and I think they drink coffee now instead of alcohol and they have donuts. And, and I go, is it religious? She goes, no, it's, it's, they just help each other because they all have the same problem. And I go, that seems fun. I love, I, I remember my heart like melting when I was little right. and just every time I'd go to church on Sunday, you know, this choir and thing, I would think that basement thing seemed cool. Right. And I, I didn't realize it until I just started talking to you about it. That's where that came in, where you know who's going to help me is not the, the authority, not the man in the sky, the other fucked up people. Like I said, I'm on the side of the road with comedy. Come by. I'll, I'll help you for a minute. I don't want to be in charge. I don't want you to be in charge. It's like I so I do get a lot out of going to group things where the other people are just as fucked up 
you know, experience, strength, and hope. Like, yeah, there's no answer. Like, I think a lot of people mistake certain groups for saying they have answers. They're like, no, no, we're all just coming together because it just takes the pressure off if you right. go, oh, wait, 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 okay, it's not just me. And sometimes you can't think your way out of that. I could sit in my bedroom all I want and go, I'm not the only one who feels this way right now about right. relationships or well, whatever. A lot, of the time, go the a lot of the time we don't have the answers. A lot yeah, of the time no it's just does. about hearing that other people are going through the same shit That's as it. we are. And all we have to do is calm down and stop trying to control everything. That's it. Because so often we think, I oh, I'm the reminders. only person who can't put this thing together. And then you just talk to everyone else and they go, oh, that thing's impossible to put together. And you're like, oh, thank fuck. It's very, and it's, it's different than talking to your friends or something about going to a group uh-huh. of strangers and having everyone sit and be very vulnerable and then leave. And you can be friends with these people if you want. Right. I kind of don't like to. Right. I'm not a real 12-stepper. There's people who live that way. They're friends with their people. I just spy on it. I drop into certain things. But I like that kind of stuff. because. So I'm always intrigued with the blind leading the blind in a good way. I'm always intrigued with, yeah, let's get in with the prisoners. And like that kind of, I've always been that kind of Johnny Cash Catholicism and like, I want to be with the drunks in the basement. I don't want to be with the pious people in the church. And I don't want to be with the people throwing rocks at it either. I want to be in something. But also, I can stand back with the atheists and be like, this is ridiculous. But I don't want to live there either. I want to, I've always just been, I circle everything. I try, I sample everything. I kind of just walk around. So it's that kind of, don't, I can't be tied down to any one way of thinking. And, you know, then I got to try to go too much into Buddhism. And I'm like, well, what am I doing? I'm doing the same thing I, that people do with Catholicism. I'm going to this thing every Sunday, way longer, by the way. If anyone thinks it's cool to be Buddhist and you really want to be one, well, you can't step on an ant and you got to sit for three hours on a Sunday instead of one. Fuck that. I'll just read some of the quotes. Right, yeah, yeah. I just want <laughs> yeah, like a, no. just give me a gist. Yeah, give me a gist. Give me the gist of Buddhism. So I take a gist give from me like Give me like a calendar with inspirational <laughs> quotes on it. Yeah, 12 things. Yeah. So that's kind of where I go. Hang in there. That is good <laughs> advice. You're right. Thank you, Kat. <laughs> so that's kind of like, you know, I have a friend who says to me, how did you jump from whatever, she, what she considers some level in my career that she wants to be at. Uh-huh. And I know the answer has nothing to do with anything practical I did. I'm just kind of a hippie, dippy, whatever. And I think just getting all the anger, hatred, resentment, controlling out of me. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but it really doesn't come up that much. I just don't care. Like I, I don't, it, I think I've crossed over to some other realm in a weird way about certain things. What uh, do you think happens when we die? Um, I believe the body is genius. So I believe what happens is all those great chemicals that make you think you see a light is your, you know, as is proven to be is your brain uh-huh. uh, shutting off last fireworks explosion. Yep. I think your body takes care of you so that you feel euphoric when you die. Yep. Even though you might feel pain right before that and sure. fear then the thing kicks in. Yeah. But then you're already gone at that point. I don't think there's coming back from that. Um, I think nothing. I think it feels like before you were born. I think it's nothing. Right, nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Um, when people say things like matter cannot be created or destroyed, so you're somewhere, that sounds good on paper, but right. I don't get what that means really. Yeah, but also if you believe that, then I was somewhere beforehand as well. And that place where you can't, and remember I don't remember or recognize that either. Or Nobody ever yeah. has the ghost of a yeah. baby that wasn't born yet come right. to them. It's always someone they heard, you know what I mean? I mean, as much as they want to... Terrifying. What a terrifying world to live in. But, you know, I've had these moments where people in my life I've been close with have died. Right. And I have dreamt things. And I can't explain those dreams. 
where I found out some information that I later found out, you know, but I think that that's, I'm using this higher level of my brain that I didn't know. And, you know, I can explain it away a million times. You know, I know people who, I wish I believed in ghosts and stuff and, and I can definitely get scared and scare myself at night if I went to a haunted house. Sure. But do I really believe that there's my grandmother watching over me or something? No, it'd be so awesome though. Perfect place for ghosts to attack too. Under the camouflage of night is your haunted house. If they ever do come back. Oh yeah. Because people are going there on purpose. Yeah, they're not. That's like they should. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. A real ghost. You know what I was going to say too is uh, when my. There's your sitcom Hollywood. <laughs> my, a, a real ghost that lives in a haunted house. And people just think, oh, it's that's just this funny. camouflage. When my grandmother died, she very much believed literal heaven, okay. hell, Jesus, uh-huh. this, that. So there was this prayer card that was like, Jesus, take her in your arms and do this. And I thought, oh God, I hope that's real. If anyone needs right. this nice man to hold her, a man that, I'm not trying to be funny, a man that if she saw him in real life would call the police. Right. <laughs> right. There's like this Muslim hippie this Muslim, trying to hold me. Yeah, not wearing no <laughs> shoes. But no, Surrounded but I, by men. I want it to be true for other people. Yeah. So even though course, I don't believe it, of course. when other friends of mine say my dad's in heaven, I in my heart, I go, yes, he is. Right. Because you believe it. And I don't know, maybe he believed it and he's not really in heaven, but what am I going to yell at my friend and correct her? If she thinks her dad's in heaven, then her dad's in fucking heaven and her dad's in heaven. If it gives somebody comfort and it hurts nobody else. And then when my parents go... I'll probably believe they're looking over me too. Right. And I understand it's if someone loses a friend or whatever they want yeah. to say, yes. And that, you know. And th- I'm open to mystery. God, I hope right. there is. How fun. Oh, I'm a, I mean, I'm, I actually don't hope there's anything because it scares me. Well, I think there will be a million different things, but none of them are like what we imagine or our brains are capable of imagining. Like what we, yeah. you know, if we become, if that idea that we're all energy of some sort of kind and you become, you know, a different type of energy, you know, like then whatever, but we're not going to recognize that in the way that we're not. Yeah. We're comprehending our lives right now with the brains that we have right now. And I hope this brain stops at some point because I don't want to take it with me to the next place. I'm tired. Like this brain cannot come with me to heaven. And that's what I used to worry about when I was little. My mom would tell me about heaven. She'd say, it never ends. You're there. The angels are singing. And I remember thinking, that sounds scary. I don't want to be there knowing I want to be on earth. What's everyone doing? And I don't like the idea of heaven does not comfort me because I can't comprehend heaven without going with this brain. Right. But also I love the idea that the way we explain heaven is that you just have to rock up like it's, you know, cheers. Everyone's in the bodies they're in now. And it's just like the same thing every day. Like, that's how it was explained to right. me. So I was like, what a horror show that is. Right. Can I, I, I should kill myself at whatever's my peak age, <laughs> right? Like, when am oh, I at no. my best? I was taught like you 19. go back. I was taught you go back to your youngest. To your youngest? To your best. So if it was 19. <laughs> so we, but, you what know, a great, isn't it great that we just go, yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's definitely, that's, that's how it works. You go back to your hottest. Well, my, <laughs> Jesus only that was very shallow he was and people don't he only wants hot people in yeah. heaven because surely your best would be at most your inter, the oldest you are you know, before your, your brain degenerates yeah. is at your best hopefully because you, you know, have learnt more and you have more well, experience. that's probably the way I interpreted it was right. your hottest but what my mom used to say to me is you know if someone dies and they had cancer they're relieved of it in the next life because okay. you go back to perfection but you don't get 
Well, but do you get abs and stuff? Anyway. I don't know. I think I made up right. the, like that it's, okay. but I, but I will say this one weird thing is, yeah. um, my grandmother wasn't sick or anything. She was just 99. So right. obviously any minute she was going to go and okay. it was always on my mind. Cause I was wondering how will my mom react? I right. don't think it's going to, I don't think my mom's going to react very well. I think she's going to fall apart. So that was always a worry in the back of my head. So uh-huh. one night I had a dream that my grandmother and I were sitting together and she was talking it was her same voice. And then I turned and looked at her and she was 25 years old and she was in her outfit. She got married in. And I was like, Nana, what, what are you doing? And she goes, oh, I'm, I'm back to this now and I'm really happy. Don't worry. And I woke up and I was like, the fuck? That dream freaked me out. And of course, you know, you know how the story's going to end. I got a call, you know, five hours later, Nana died and she's been dead on the floor for a day. And so, of course, my rational mind goes, I knew it. She came to me and I dreamt it. But that was always on my mind anyway. Right. And I had been taught we revert to our youngest. So there's no proof. That, you know, but if you want to have fun on a magical day, my sister totally believes that Nana came to me in my dream and she was younger and it proved, you know, well, I don't believe that. I want to so bad. And I right. was there. I got freaked out when I got that call. But I was like, oh, that's just a cool thing that happens in life. I don't think anything of it. So, uh, I got somebody tweet me the other day online and mm-hmm. said that, uh, why do I only ask the female guests about feminism, which I actually haven't done on purpose. It's just oh. a topic that's come up, you know, and there's no reason I won't talk to male guests about it if it comes up and it's appropriate to the conversation that yeah. we're having because obviously I think that, you know, men you know, have to be allies in, you know, in feminism. Right. Um, but mostly I talk to women about it because, you know, the idea of like two men sitting around talking about feminism, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, men have, men have had enough of a chance to talk about things. Oh, yeah, I'd rather, yeah. you know, hear. Yeah. Well, this is a serious conversation too. Right. So it's good. It's not like you're interviewing me for a comedy. I just don't like it when people bring it up in the context of. So what's it like being a woman in comedy? Yeah, where, where I have to suddenly be not funny when right. the purpose of the interview is to sell tickets and I'm supposed to be led into saying funny things. Right, and I'm not even really talking so about women in comedy. No, but no, I do. You just mean but I do, feminism. But I do think about women in comedy because the more aware I become, like as a person who, you know, like particularly, you know, in the last few years, as we all know, like there's been just much more of an awareness online. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you had yes or women. You've had just more prominent voices, you know, getting followings, and like you know, there's been a lot of issues, and it's become more and more prominent, and it becomes more and more part of the debate. So you. I guess yeah, I'm challenged constantly myself yeah, me to too. look at things that five years ago, yeah. you know, like the the mixture of guests on a you know on a show that I do. I even with well, so this podcast, for yeah. example, I put it on pause because I felt like if I was doing a podcast that was asking people about their philosophy on life, mm-hmm. that I should at least the small at least the small amount I could do was try to have an equal representation of men and women. Right, right. right. So I paused the podcast. Like until I could be in a place where I could, you know, try to make that happen more regularly. Now that's only a very small thing to do, and I'm not expecting, you know, a badge or a parade or anything right, for right. that. Sm- but I was like, well, I'm not even doing like that's the minimum yeah, that yeah. I should be doing. Right. Like I should at least be challenging myself to to do that. But so the reason I talk about it with people mm. is that I think that I I become more and more confronted that I that I work in an industry mm-hmm. that is still one of those industries that like if it was. If the percentage of like uh, women to men was mm-hmm. the percentage of like black people to white people mm-hmm. in our industry, people would be looking at our industry going, hey, comedy's, comedy's a bit racist, isn't it? It's well, mostly- I think it is too. I think, you know, uh, weirdly, mo- my f- comedy friends in New York are, 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 I have black friends in New York in comedy, mm-hmm. <clears throat> not that many here in LA. I, I, there's more, I think, 
I don't know the percentage, but my friends who are black, most of them live in New York. And so um, I've been confronted with like intersectional feminism, the new thing. You know, I just think women, we're all equal in our unequalness. Right. No, I'm a white woman. Oh, yeah, right. right. You know, and I've had black male friends where we bond, we both feel like outsiders in comedy. I have to check myself sometimes to make sure I'm not jumping too much on the we're outsiders train because I'm still right. white. Yeah. I do think it's a little more, now I could be wrong and I always, this is where I will, I, again, two white people talking about it, I don't feel comfortable, but I'll ask my black friends and not that one black guy represents all black guys. I right. have, again, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a difficult thing, but I- This is I, why they had to invent podcasting because now that we know about nuances, everything takes a lot longer to explain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, well, I don't want to say that. And I, but I was saying to my, yeah. my friend, who's black, I was saying to him like, you know, uh, we feel like outsiders. That's how we met. We met like, uh, because of this, there was this, Whatever we just we met through comedy, but we talked one time about feeling really outside, and then we realized, I think we would downplay our race and our gender, like he would downplay his race, I downplay my gender. We'd be like, oh, whatever, it's we're not. But we're like, no, we're not complaining. We're just saying we feel like outsiders. There's all right. these, you know, people. If we if we have a bad set, sometimes we have to take into consideration: are they not understanding me because of my race or my gender or whatever? I. I feel, and I've asked my black friends this, and they're kind of like, uh, I don't know. I always feel like, oh, black guys are way more accepted than women in comedy. Sometimes I'll say that, and people are like, Jen, 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 Jen. No, 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 no. But, you know, because I, I will say stuff like that, and I'm like, no, I can't say stuff like that. So it's like I think part of being a feminist is being a global, like, you know, anti-racist, anti-homophobe. It's it's equality. It's intersectionalism. Right. And it's I have so much to learn. And, and I was... Okay, so that's a good... Yeah. But that's a nice... I was confronted on my white start, feminism for a long which time. Which is that what we're really talking about here is like equality, mm -hmm. right? At the basis of all these things. And, and unfortunately, so, white men don't have a seat at that table. They cannot talk yet until everything's equal. They cannot talk yet about feeling marginalized or whatever. Not equality for them. They have it. They cannot be part of it. I don't mean they can be part of the conversation like you, but they cannot go, yeah, I relate. No, you don't. You know, it's, it's different. Now, I do think this word classism is difficult to talk yeah, about. Yeah, so, but that's that's a whole different area because... There's different kinds of white men. But we're talking about, and this is the thing is, we're talking about extremes of inequality as well. Yeah. And it's going to be different in, you know, you can be from the same race in the same suburb, like the same area of town, but if you're from like the terrible area of town versus the, yeah, the privileged area of town, yeah. your life can be much more different than the black person and the white person living in that area of, of town that like have the similar... Yeah, like your your anecdotal life might be different. Like there could be this very rich black guy in, in the, right. you know, Trump Tower in New York City who had a way better life in terms of wealth than my dad, the greenskeeper. But in the world, right. the black guy will get judged differently than my and dad. You know yeah. what? If you're a white guy in the NBA, yeah, you get extra, extra credit. That's an area of... <laughs> but that's, remember, no, yeah. but, the, but my point being yeah. that just because like it's hard for white guys to play in the NBA... <laughs> <laughs> doesn't mean that everything else is evened out. Exactly. Just because Obama got to be president. <laughs> oh, God, no. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I had someone say to me, be careful what you wish for. This this, this guy, you know, he goes, uh, it's the same thing with making movies with women. Oh, that didn't work. I guess women can't be movies. Like, oh, Obama fucked up a couple of guys. Black guys can't be president. Like, right. be careful what you wish for the woman president because it's a world of hurt, too. Like, you're going to have to watch her just be judged on her gender. But anyway, so I feel like with feminism stuff... Uh, yeah, it's I'm still learning as well and I'm I'm confronted daily with areas that I am privileged. And it's it's tough because you want to go, no, no, but I relate because I think when people speak up, no, no, but I relate. It's hard for me too. They're just trying to relate. But I have to squelch my urge to say that because I was 
didn't have a lot of money growing up, then I understand. I still don't understand what it's like to be black and have no money growing up. It's totally fucking different. Right. Like uh, that's a, uh, that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's that's good because I think what people resent so much is that they feel like when you have a discussion about this that you are in some way saying that they didn't have to struggle individually. Yes. And that is not Yeah, what no one I'm is saying. talking about anyone's no individual No one's saying story. that you, you didn't struggle and that you know you know, everybody has their own story yeah. and everybody has had to have hurdles that they've had to overcome and some of them are, you know, much worse than, you know, yeah. like, you know, like maybe you're like, you know what, I, I would have been fine to, you know, be a black kid in this neighbourhood if I hadn't been a white kid who was fucked by my press. Right. I understand that individual, you know, circumstances are going to be different, yeah. you know, and everybody's are going to be. But that way you put it just then, which is like, you know, I, I grew up on a farm. No one... Like, you know, I was going to be a farmer's kid and I feel like a lot of the things that, like, you know, I've done in my career, I've worked hard for and like, you know, that I've deserved. But I also recognize that if I'd been like a a black guy or a woman who like started in exactly the same place and worked equally as hard, I might not not have got the opportunities that I... You might have been raped and forever tormented by it. You know, you never know. And it doesn't actually take anything away from me or what I've achieved or whatever for me to recognize that... Like, you know, heaps of people have had it heaps better than me, but you've also got to recognize that there was a whole bunch of people who've had it heaps harder than me. And I, I think, have too, well. like, everyone should be able to tell their individual story. Right. And when we are talking globally about a systematic oppression, we are not talking about individual stories. And so nobody needs to take it personally. That's why I don't think I've ever taken it personally when I learned about racism. I was like, that's awful. Yeah. And I can go, what's my part in it? Or what's my part in anything or why do I even think I have a part or whoever if I like to tell me um, I don't know about this stuff tell right. me everybody who knows about this you know when I'm I, I'm on board let's do this and there's no um I'm not like what sometimes I had hard and no one said Jen Kirkman didn't have it hard right we're, we're talking about you know so even like when one I think night of, I went to see Prince and I was like the only white guy there <laughs> still doesn't really I don't think give me it's not an idea of what it would be like to be systematically oppressed by my race my mom told me an interesting story she said you know there was a black guy in my high school and I had no idea and I know that <laughs> sounds like a stupid conversation uh-huh. to have but there was a very white town even though it was totally working class Lowell which is like a mill town. It's not uh-huh. wealthy at all. But my mom said, we went to high school with one black guy. I go, one black guy? She goes, yeah. I go, what was that like? And he goes, he was like the nicest person in the class, like cordial, knew everybody's name. And she wasn't saying it like, can you believe it? She was right. saying like, he was the most popular guy. So I don't think we had racism. I go, do you understand that he had no choice but to be that guy? Right. He couldn't ever be himself. He always had to be smiling, happy, bringing you gifts because he, could, he didn't have the privilege to act like everyone else. Because he would be seen as angry black guy or scary black guy or right. that guy. He guy's was weird. representing his entire race. Yeah. And you're always, rep- even if you're not the only black person in the school, in the world, you're always representing your entire race. I feel like I'm always representing women and I hate it. I, well, that's you know, the problem. And yeah. that's what people hate. They guy, hate white guys idea. get to be individuals. Right. That's why they're always fighting for right. it. I go, no one is coming for you individually. That's why I don't get offended in general because I always feel like I'm living in, I don't know what the difference is, but. Yeah, it's that kind of uh, thing where it's like, I'm, I don't know. So yeah, I don't know what your question is about feminism, but that's like where I'm at is I'm still learning and I'm realizing I've been so uh, keyhole vision of what feminism is. It's been very white, Gloria Steinem, blah, 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 you know. And I'm like, oh, what an idiot I've been. It's so much more than that. And it can be 
but it can be all those things because sometimes yeah. people will use that to prosecute you, I think. Sometimes people are, well, why do you care about this thing when there's, you know. Yeah, go, I care about it all. And you know what? We Our microaggressions in America, because we are so privileged, those are actually really important because even something as simple as mansplaining, which is a man explains something to a woman that she already knows without with the assume you know there's a great book called men explain things to me that started with an essay about a woman i for, i don't i'm not good with details but let's say she wrote this important essay that was very factually based about climate change she goes to a party actually jen i think you're part of what <laughs> happened was do you really know no I, that was just my men's but it would be joke. great if you actually right, did if i could because just... i actually need some help here i don't yeah. really know the story with yeah it doesn't mean that men can't sometimes explain something yeah, to yeah, you yeah. if you need the information so she was at a party <laughs> and this guy and she said to this guy uh he goes um oh so you know uh blah 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 she goes oh yeah I actually um wrote a piece about that he goes well i read this piece in the and he's explaining she goes no i wrote th-. she kept saying i wrote it oh, okay and he kept explaining it to her and it's like that happens all the time, you know, weird little things. That, so, so that it got coined mansplaining. So sometimes even the littlest thing that my, my, my male friends don't go through, I will be um, at a gas station and the guy will come over and grab the pump and start trying to do it for me. I'm like, oh, honey, no, I've been, I'm not a woman at a gas station. I'm Jen Kirkman at a gas right. station. I've been doing this 20 years. So, you know, it's this weird thing where I get really mad about it because I'm seen not as an individual in that moment. I'm angry as fuck. Somebody said something the other day, which I just thought was such an interesting insight. It was yeah. like, she said, does a, uh, when you're trying to park your car, yes! does a group of women ever stand around and like try to wait? I was you? just going to say that next. Right. Did someone really say that? Yeah. It happens all the time. By the way, I can see, and I also have a little video right. monitor now. Yeah, I'm in a car that you're has in, like you're a... You're actually my... I, I freaked you are out. in my way. I freaked out at a <laughs> guy at Trader Joe's. Worse. I couldn't move because of him. Right. He kept going, you have room. I go, yeah. you're making me uncomfortable. You don't work at the airport, Tiger. I got out, threw my keys, and yeah. said, you fucking park, park it. He goes, it. I'm not a valet. I go, no. then butt the fuck out. I go, right. did you do that to a man? And I just stood there, and I let the keys stay on the ground. I go, I know I look crazy right now, but this isn't the first time it's happened. It's the 300th, and right. I'm fucking sick of it. And it's that little thing where it's like, oh, women are crazy. Yeah, we're fucking crazy, because you've been fucking with us for so long. You, we're fucking nuts, so watch out, everybody. And when people go, why do you hate men? I go, I don't. And it's a goddamn miracle I don't sometimes when I think about it, right? If you were black, wouldn't you hate white people? Right. Like you brought my family here in a slave ship, you fucking pieces of shit. Like how are people, you know, I get worked up. I'm like joking right now, but I'm serious. I'm like, gee, I have to, now I have to also be pretty and prim and proper and perfect so that I can communicate direct, well enough so that people will hear it and not get upset. That's a lot for me to think about. So it's like, oh, for Christ's sakes already. Like sometimes I just want to just go live on planet woman, you know, and just have like male servants come in and service us as needed straight women so it's like otherwise i really need men like you know sometimes i get like that but it's so it's that kind of i don't want to be that way i I do love men i have so many male friends right but this is the this is the thing i think sometimes people don't understand about this and again i'm only speaking from my perspective but is that i always consider you know like people like well when i said you know when someone says but when i say that to Cheryl or when I do that you know I you know I'm doing it and some people are doing it in a nice way if we get rid of all the people who are doing it in a terrible way there will be still times when nice people can do nice things it's not like some you know in fact we'll be able to get back to that point every once in a while I have absolutely needed help backing into my car. Right. And as human and then beings, if someone Jen, did someone it, helps. Yeah. it would be a really lovely moment. But you know in your heart, when you've had it happen to you enough, yeah. you know the difference between this is me right. looking like I'm having trouble and this is me so confident, got the coffee, 
aviator shades, leads up and blaring. Why is there a guy back in my car? Right. Oh shit, where'd he come from? Right. Oh, why is he waving me? I wasn't he's having a problem. You. Yeah, he's patronizing me. Yeah. I wasn't having a problem. I was as, I was like about to, you know, peel right. out of here with one hand. So it's that kind of stuff where I, so I say, when I complain about that, people go, well, women in Saudi Arabia are getting gassed. I go, yeah, that's also important. Yeah, that's- in America, we don't have that kind of suffering. Uh, we still do. And microaggressions are important. So the whole mansplaining thing, this woman's book actually explains how when women aren't heard, how it reverberates and causes women in Saudi Arabia getting their faces fucking burned with. So it is all part of the same thing. And no one is saying one is more important. Although of course, freedom of not wearing a veil is more important, but you know what I mean? So if there's actually an right, answer but also, to everything, but, but also if there's it. a massive, if there is a massive late forest fire mm-hmm. and you're in your house and you have a hose and your front lawn is on fire, mm-hmm. then you know what? Maybe just start by putting out the fire on your lawn. Yeah. Like if there is something that you can actually, maybe at the moment you can't do anything to help those women, you know, in Saudi I mean, Arabia, and I'm just but, as vocal about it as I am a right. guy at Trader Joe's trying to help me park. Yeah. But for some reason it's like men are like, how can I not listen right now? Cause this is confronting. Okay, I'll I'll call her out on this, and it's like, dudes, you can't do that. I feel like, uh, as much as black people are systematically kept down in our culture, I always say, and I might be wrong, and I've asked people to correct me. I I, I went to school with a bunch of white people, and it was cool to listen to rap music and act culturally uh-huh. black. Yeah, sure. And what my black friends say is, yeah, America loves us culturally; they hate us as people. Yeah. So I'm not saying it's better. But I'm saying there's never been a cohesive feminist movement where it was cool for people that were men to act like feminists the way it was cool right. to, for white people to act black or, you know, culturally speaking black. I know what you mean. Yeah. So there's this, um, there's still this thing where it's bad. And then now I'm getting to like, all right, guys, like when I see Aziz Ansari on Letterman saying I'm a feminist and going into this bit about it, I go, that'd be nice if a woman could do that. Right. But she still can't. Yeah. And I get really mad and I'm not jealous of him or it should be me. But I just go, no. Nah. You know what? Thanks for speaking up with us. Right. But see, we're still not getting the chance to speak that much. So I wish you, I wish 10 women said it. And then one man came on and gave his rebuttal, which was, yeah, me too. Instead of, yeah, most women aren't paneling on Letterman talking about feminism, but Aziz is. It's a really interesting uh, thing that you say, because so what do you think men should be? like doing, you know, in regard to talking about this. Because again, like this person tweeted me, but also it's just something I think about myself, which is like, you know, for example, in the old days, I I used to have a lot of material about like uh, marriage equality. Yeah. Because even though I don't want to get married myself, I was always like one of those people that was like, well, you know, I don't think it's right that I, I don't enjoy living in a society where someone else doesn't have the same rights as as me, you know. If you change your mind on a whim, you wouldn't think twice you'd be able to do it. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not my issue. You know, like I, I can't speak on behalf of that community yeah. i don't you know i'm sure it would be better that i'm sure there were plenty of times where i was on material on tv doing material about how gay people you know should have equality in australia and how blah 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 mm-hmm. that there was a bunch of gay people going i wish that was like a gay comedian up there saying ah. those things you know like or well, whatever or yeah. you know like so what do you think your responsibility when you are you know say you're well, okay so let's like say do you talk about it or do you not talk about if you're a ziz let's say do you're you talk about it or do you not talk about it you know what have been cool if he said hey dave you know what's so funny 
is I have so many funny female friends that you've never heard of. Right. And it'd be cool if they could be up here with me saying it. Really make a point. Don't just be proud of your... See, I think men are still in the I'm proud of myself stage. Right. It's like white people, like when they ruin the Black Lives Matter protest with their Berkeley going crazy. It's like, hey, white people, don't get so crazy over here. Right. You, you're, you're making this thing look bad. So now it's like men are proud. I'm a feminist. Well, that's great. Yeah. But call it out, like spell it the fuck out. So that's what I wish. It would have been cool if it's easy to that or right. something. Uh, if you're a man, take women on tour. Not just because you pity them. If you think one no, is no, funny. No, no, because you think it's yeah. the right thing to do. And so I think stuff like that. And I think just listening, like, uh, here's a perfect example. And I don't mean to throw anyone under the bus, but there's a, um, I, the only thing I can relate it to is comedy just because it's all I do 24 yeah, seven, but there's an art, there's a, a website that, that is really great to comedians and they interview them and they interview me a lot and they're a big fan, but they have a little podcast and they, they were talking about me on it in what they thought was a complimentary way saying Jen just taped this comedy special. Now, um, they were saying things like, um, you know, Jen is intimidating. Yeah, she is. No, but she's a great, she's funny. She's attractive. You don't have to say attractive. Doesn't matter what I look like. Uh, Jen's really intimidating. Why? if they met me and they say, um, they go, or her, you know, her Twitter is very scary. And I purposefully use my Twitter to get angry at sexist. So, but they didn't explain the context of it. Like, yeah. Uh, so they just said all this stuff. And, and if you didn't know me, you go, geez, girl scan's really scary. You're mean. So I just wrote to them. I appreciate the good words about that. You think I'm funny. And, but you know, um, I didn't like the other stuff. And they go, you're making us look bad right now. If anyone's reading these tweets, they think we said mean things about you. I go, no, no, take the emotion out of it. Right. It's not about you defending your brand. I'm not saying it was mean. I'm saying you need to think more as men how you speak about women. Right. You've got to get the facts straight. You didn't say what I'm tweeting about that's making me angry. You didn't say anything. And one of the guys was sitting there with a baby in his arms who was his daughter. I said, you have a daughter and I need you to listen to me. And they kept getting defensive. We like you. People are going to... I said, stop it. Stop it right now. They also presupposed that my special... Now, and I'm not saying this is sexism, but it's definitely, I have to toot my own horn as much as I can. Um, I did a comedy special with a company that paid me a lot of money, and they're a huge company, and it's a big honor. They're, they just don't announce it until after it's uh, edited and being marketed. Uh-huh. I'm not allowed to say before. Um, I did an interview with their magazine where I, I indicated that as much. And these two guys, I didn't do an interview with one of them. I did with one of their female writers. These two guys were on this podcast that represents their online magazine, and they were saying, yeah, so Jen taped a special, and I think she's just doing that thing where, you know, I don't know why she never did one before, um, but, you know, everyone has their own path. Not everyone gets there at the same time, and it was very insulting. I purposefully held off on a special because I didn't want to work with Comedy Central. I purposefully held out for this company for two years. could have done one a million times. I didn't. I could have done one where I paid for it myself and shopped around. I didn't want to do that. I knew I deserved and could get the money. And so they, they presuppose, they do this supposing, yeah, so they, they came to the conclusion that I shot a special with my own money and I'm going to shop it around and they really hope it lands somewhere good. Instead of like, no motherfuckers, I just made bank, you know? And so I tweeted them like, hey, you know what? Uh, you got the info wrong. And they go, well, we were saying nice things. We just said we didn't know. I said, no, no, you didn't. Again, listen as men how you talk. You said it. At first you said, we don't know. And then you just went into a theory and then it ended up a fact. It's just a way that you speak that you don't know you do. And I'm not angry right now and I'm not trying to take down your magazine. But if people listen to that, they certainly have an idea of me. And they just kept going back to, if people read these tweets, they're going to think we're bad people. I, I can't, I forget it. So it's like, there's going to be times where I don't know what men can do because someone like you is always going to be like, hey, you know what? I'll listen. There's going to be people that are like, no, no, I'm a feminist. I, didn't, I don't think that was that. And you go, okay, forget it. You, that's all I'm saying, you know? 
the interesting and look you know i don't i i'm certainly no um i've said plenty of things and will probably continue to say plenty of things which is part of the reason that even that language like i would like to say here's what i'm saying now at the moment and again like six months ago i was saying something different so i'm not trying to pretend yeah. that i have any answers oh yet. and by the way just listen really quick i don't think these guys are sexist if yep. they were just saying it because they would say it about a guy i'm just sensitive because i get talked about like that a lot but also, and i just wanted them to know that the it's, other thing is it's i was having a moment it's ingrained without out us thinking about it yeah like i've responded to people online again just small things mm-hmm. but like you know because you do my other podcast uh fofop quite a lot yeah and people will say because we like have a rapport on that yeah they will suggest then like that we have a baby right yeah, yeah exactly that sort of thing and i was yeah. like you just like i have great rapports with other people that i have on that oh show God. and i would never get that sort of response yeah, you right should fuck Dave, and Dave so Anthony. i would just yeah. say like i would just say to them i said look you know i know that you're trying to like say a compliment yeah but I feel like this is not the appropriate way to express that. Yeah. And you're not trying – I'm not trying to be mean to that person. I'm just no. trying to say, hey, here's something that I've been thinking about more recently. Right. And maybe if you thought about it, you'd also be like, oh, yeah, actually, maybe that isn't so much of a compl- – like, you yeah. know, like, which is all you're trying to do is like – and so I'm saying that I'm only thinking about this myself as well. I Here's what I'm saying now. I want to be a feminist. Mm-hmm. And I'll I don't, talk to the other women. I don't think that's up to me to decide. And yes, some, it is. No, as in like it's for me to decide I want to be a feminist, but it's not for me to decide that I am a feminist and then tell other people that yes, I'm a feminist. Yes, it fem- is. No. No? Right. Why? Let me explain what I mean. Okay. I shouldn't be able to tell a woman that I'm a feminist. It should be the feminism standard of what we need for feminists. I want to be a guy go, I want to be a feminist. Tell okay. me what it is that I should be doing. Well, you know, and I can be doing more. Like the simple thing for me was with the podcast. You know, it was a very simple thing for me to t- do mm-hmm. a little bit more effort and, you know, plan it out a bit more and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so and make sure that I could like, you know, do yeah. it, right? That's just one little thing. I mean, there's a yeah. bunch of other, you know, bigger things. The way that I use language, the things that I will say, the even just like not going to that joke about like you're on stage improvising and there's a, you know, like not going to that place with, I think it a lot with my gay, like if you're improvising on front stage with a gay friend or if a gay friend's on a podcast, you'll still hear a lot of guys riff, go straight to gay. that. Yeah. And you're like, I know that that's kind of off air. We can do that. But even maybe off air, let's yeah. stop doing that Maybe now. let people breathe, maybe, you know, breathe a little bit. I human. know they're fine with it, but should they have to be fine with it? Well, you know what's like, interesting you know, is the reason I was arguing Aren't about, we modern people? The reason I was saying like, yes, you're a feminist is because just – and everyone defines it differently. My definition is is literally that you believe in the equality of the sexes. So right. I believe you can call yourself that. Now, the reason I also say I think of you as a feminist is because you might not be uh, marching in the streets or spending all your spare time being an activist, but your mind is open. I trust you. I feel comfortable around you. I can tell you anything and then you will hear me out and take it into consideration. You will not argue with me. I have male friends who say they believe in the equality, but they are they will not listen. And so they are not, they will not say the word feminist. They will say, why do I have to say it? So that's when someone is willing to say it. I go, then you get to be one. And then there's different levels of activism. I wish there was a better word in the sense that there's racist. And then there's no word for not being racist. So it's like, I can say to my black friends, like, you know, my heart, I'm not racist. I don't want to be, I understand. I'm going to do everything perfectly. How can I help? Right. There's no word for it though. I'm a what? There's no word for I'm not a racist, right. except a really awful word from the 30s. Uh, well, here's There's two what, words. You know what I'm saying? So okay. it's like, I don't know what to, so, so feminist, and I just think of it very simply. Race is an interesting one. I You're just, I was I was doing a, but I, I, I think I need to confront myself on race a little bit more as well, which is like, 
it's very easy to say that, you know, I mean, obviously I work in an industry where I have friends of all you know, races mm-hmm. and nationalities and beliefs and all sorts of things. So you can kid yourself a little bit that when you look around your actual friends that they might not be, you know, you, that you might not be as culturally diverse as Oh, like the people yeah, you're you really want to calling be. and hanging yeah, with. Yeah, right, yeah, you know, okay, yeah. because you're like, well, I work in this industry that is so diverse. Yeah, so it's an Asian and a black When you look at your actually today. friends. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then go through your phone and go, right. oh. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So firstly that, but secondly, just – so, so I'll give you just a little example. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I want to know how you'd react in this situation. They're doing this thing at the moment. It's an internet trend. This, mm-hmm. this now I know I'm an old person now. I'm like, oh, it's some the sort of internet trend, trend yeah. right? And it's like called thug life or thugging. I, I don't know what it is. Okay. I'm an old person. But it's basically some cultural appropriation of like you know gangster lifestyle mm. but it's done with like the twist of like you know you know i've just stayed out two nights in a row and i ate six donuts thug life, life or yeah. whatever i don't even understand it really enough to know what it is but you're they're basically saying the, right i'm the opposite of a badass yeah. yeah but anyway they were doing this right i was just was on a radio show and they explained the idea really quickly mm-hmm. and then it said it just sounded like one of those things of like white people pretending to be black people yeah and i've been reading a lot about like iggy azalea and cultural appropriation and like you know and it was just like i'm in this radio interview and i don't know whether it's like you know when you know i'm like i'm not sure this is a thing i can play along with (laughs) am i about to do something on radio right because i don't understand it yeah it's just gonna kind of be a bit like you know so you're saying what would i have done if i was yeah what would you have done do you just play along in that situation or do you luckily you gave me this great introduction and a heads up so now i can have the most perfect answer right what I hope I would have done if I felt uncomfortable with it. Because thug is such a buzzword, which right. means black person when white yep. people are talking. Yeah. And so I don't think it's... Particularly in light of Ferguson. And yeah, that, that I don't think word, it's a fun word. But I was saying we know what you mean when you say thug. Yeah. Yeah. You mean the N-word, yeah. right? Yeah. And suddenly I'm on like a radio show having to tell some wacky story and then like yeah. they're going to like thug life it. Yeah. I mean, I know I'm being overly sensitive. I think we're being but at overly sensitive. Time, and I think that there's a, you know, even... But it's the same thing. Someone could call themselves a thug if they're a hardcore rapper or whatever. I sound like an old hardcore rapper. But, you know, like Ice Cube, maybe in, in a song he might call himself a thug. I know his right. music. I don't remember if he did or not. But he might be taking the word back the same way with the N-word. Yeah, so, he can. so, yeah. So it might be a thing of what I think, what I hope I would have done is said, guys, I get the little meme here. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say badass because that makes me more comfortable. Uh-huh. And I'm going to say like, yeah, I went to bed at nine last night after some frozen yogurt. I'm a fucking badass. You know, right. just change it to, oh, I'm, I'm Clint Eastwood. Whatever. I would have just said something like yeah. guns blazing, like something else that implies I don't give a fuck. I, why, don't, yeah. why don't we just say, uh, you know, what, you know what? Um, there's that song Turn Down for What? Have you heard of it? No. I don't even know. Oh, if yeah, that's, okay, I do. I don't I, even, that might not be the name of it. Right. But I, that's the bit that they yell out. Yeah. So I didn't know what it meant, and I guessed at it, meaning, right. why do I need turn down service on my bed in the hotel? I'm up all night partying. Oh. And I asked someone, and they said, that's what it means. Turn oh. down for what? Turned you're not going to bed what? tonight. Yeah, right. You're, you're out there. Oh. So some, Let's, I'm going to find out whose song that is, because they seem like an interesting person to have on this podcast. Well, that <laughs> song. That's their philosophy. Turn down for what? Before Thug Life, that's what the internet hashtag was. Oh, People right. were saying... I'm home tonight watching The Bachelor. Turn down for what? Oh, okay. Right? right? So I would have maybe oh. said, let's go back to that because right. that's more fun. Thug life is not, just in case, like, I don't think it's that horrible, but just in case it is, 
I don't want. There's a fine line between like there's it's, there's a fine line between being a pain in the ass about something that you don't need to be a pain in the ass sure. about. But it also, I, I mean, I just don't know. It was such a small thing. You can do it, it in like, a fun way too, without even bringing it. Well, up. that's what I did. Yeah, I actually did a bit about like, I, and I don't know. It was a pre-record. They may have cut this out, but yeah. But I did a whole bit about it. Hey, I'm not about to get involved in something that I do today, thinking it's really funny, and then tomorrow I find out this is like. So I did it. That's great. I mean, that's. I all mean, I, I think that's do, the right but, thing you can do because right. you still have to be funny. I want to acknowledge that there might be some weirdness around this. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm I not mean, sure that I can speak to the weirdness. Maybe everybody's fine with this. I just feel like I shouldn't be the one who gets to decide whether we're fine with this. Right. It's the same kind of thing. Like like. Uh, yeah, there's some things that are just like not okay. for me to decide. I think this is what I was trying to say before. Yeah. Is I, I definitely want to say I'm a feminist and I yeah. want to be a feminist, but it's not up to me. I don't get to decide at the end of the day what a feminist is. I get to decide, you know, that I want to be one, but it's... Okay, yeah. You know. But I think it's been decided lived. and you can say I agree with that yeah. definition or whatever. Okay, Yes. I agree with that. I don't think feminist even means. You but it's do easy anything. to give yourself a label. What, I guess the point I'm trying to get yeah. at is, it's very easy to give yourself a label and pat yourself on the back. It's very easy for me to come on here and say I am that, and like you know, or that I you know I'm not. But you've got to kind of have a practical application of the things. I that, guess you're you're adding. And you a, need to challenge yeah. yourself to you know. Well, I'm just am looking I, at it. Like as it's very easy for open. me to say I'm a feminist, and yeah. then like only book male guests for this podcast. And some people sure. would start to go, you know what? He says he's a feminist a lot. And he keeps asking all those men on his podcast about but feminism. <laughs> if you said you're a feminist and you were doing that, because you said you're a feminist, right. I would feel very safe saying, hey, Will, I'm sure you don't even know you're doing this. You only have men on there. And because you have proclaimed I'm a feminist, right. I would not be afraid to approach you. Now, some other comedians I know, maybe Artie Lang, for example, right. if he only had men on his podcast, I would never tell him no. that because I think he's going to yell at me. Yeah. So you're making me feel safe by yeah. saying I'm a feminist. <laughs> you're making the women know. We're not assuming, oh, Will knows everything about feminism. We're saying, no. this is a guy who's saying, hey, I'm open, pass it to me. That's all. So okay. I, I would encourage people to say it. And then if you want to add a disclaimer, if there's more I could learn, great. Me too. I'm not the expert in it. This was thrown on me. I didn't even know as a woman until I started to go out into the world. I don't want to have to be a feminist. I have to be though. But I was assigned to me. I don't know everything. I didn't be born knowing. I only know my instincts. Like that thing that goes around like the way guys might feel in prison is how women feel in the world. Like those instincts are ancient and they've been with me forever. But I didn't even know that not everyone felt that way until like Five years ago, I had no idea guys weren't afraid to walk to their cars. I seriously didn't know. So it's like, I'm still learning too. So that's all I mean. I think it's an open mind. You're saying I have an open mind. Right. But there's no like, because I, like if you said I'm not racist, you'd sound like a jackass. Because right. like everyone has to confront a little bit of racism they have. Even if it's that they're completely patronizing and that's their, their white liberal racism, right? Like we all have it. So the same way that I didn't sing the Rick Ross out loud when I was walking through Washington because I was suddenly aware that I was in a place <laughs> like where I probably shouldn't be singing the N word. I don't think I should be singing the N word. Yeah, regardless. not even in your car. But right. like, but sometimes if you are in your car and you get carried away in the song no. and you're not thinking about where it's going, maybe you have sung it. But not me. <laughs> I'm just saying I don't want my Paula Dean moment. Like, well, of course I always sing it. No, no. Right. <laughs> I was such a sensitive little liberal that when I was listening to Public Enemy as a teenager, yeah. I'd fast forward through it because I couldn't even hear it. I would just get so like upset. And I'm like, Jen, it, you have to hear it. Like right. it's, you gotta be, you know, I have a friend who in New York city, a, a guy, this guy just did a set in New York and this guy came up to him 
and was like, I have a funny story for you. It's a joke. It's like a street joke about uh-huh. like black people, but sure. this guy was from the South. And um, he tells the joke and it's about something. It's a little racist. And my friend was like, okay, well, people, they're trying to bond with the black person. So that's the best they know. Sure. And then the guy yells to his friend, hey, hey, this is that funny N word. And my friend was like, oh my. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for my people. He's like, nah, it happens all the time. I go, oh, right, yeah, of course it does. But it shouldn't. But I forgot that it does. Right. In the same way that if he were to apologize to me about a woman thing, I go, oh, God, save it, honey. It happens all the time. Right. Like, don't even, I don't want to get involved with your I'm sorry's on behalf of my, shut up. Like, how annoying is that? that but I how think? sad is it that we live in a world where that, yeah. you get to the point where you can just. Yeah. It was very weird where he wasn't even telling me that for that reason. There was like a side part to the story. And I was like, oh, sorry. I quickly jumped in with my white guilt. Oh, I'm so sorry. Well, I enjoyed the fact that he was polite. Did he say N-word? Or did he say... Oh, no. He he said said the the whole word. Because either way, it's terrible. (laughs) But he didn't mean it like... He meant it like he thought he was down. Yeah. But this guy's like, I don't even say that word. No, you don't get to say that. You don't get to choose when to say that. You don't even say it. No, if you don't get to say accent it. You also don't City, get to say it. If you have a southern accent, yeah. you can't say and it. And it's not your fault, necessarily, that you don't get to say it. It's terrible people who came before you. But Let's recognize just, that the word has some baggage. How about, how about this is that funny guy? <laughs> how about, yeah. How yeah. about this guy? How about identify him as something other than the most hideous racial epithet you can think of? But it's amazing. I mean, I, I saw so much shit in New York with my, with my comedy friends that that are different races, women, dudes. I was like, I, it was crazy. It was craziness. Like it's craziness. I just, it's yeah. All so, right. Look, anyway. we should finish up because yeah. we could talk forever. Oh my God. Yeah. And we already have talked Here's forever. Here's my philosophy. Yeah. Uh, wrap it up. <laughs> my philosophy is wrap it up. Wrap it up. And, uh, no, your philosophy is that it's not about the, you know, the result. It's just about the journey. And so yeah. that's how we should really be judging today's podcast. Do you think that the journey was worthwhile? Because it doesn't matter so. about the result. I hope it was. Uh, I hope people get something out of it. I hope it. I think they did. I, what would you like people to get out of it? Uh, maybe. Um, maybe they see things a little differently. Maybe they see feminism differently. Maybe they see people who have a little spiritual bent differently. Maybe they feel less alone. Maybe I put a name to something they feel. Maybe they go, oh, that might help me. I'll think about that. Maybe it's something that you're still going to go about their life the same way. And in 10 years, they'll make a change and they'll go, hey, I remember hearing something like this on a podcast 10 years ago. That's all. And I hope maybe just... That's all. (laughs) Just those 12 things. And I hope I get like... I mean, I'm going to be very upset if I don't get like at least a $10 million like speaking deal out of this right you know? i imagine yeah. this is like the modern version of ted talks so yeah i'd like to get a lot of money out of this yeah okay well let's hope that <laughs> happens for you let's hope you're finally the person who jackpots out of podcasting uh if people want to come and see you do shows what jenkirkman.com is that yeah. the best place for One people N to find Jen, the details j-e-n-k-i-r-k-m-a-n.com uh, J- yeah. at Jen Kirkman on uh on twitter twitter and uh, you're coming to Australia to do shows. I, I guess a lot of the people who are listening to this, help big hello to listeners all over the world, but you're coming to Australia yes. to do some shows. So all those details will be at Jen It's Kirkman. all on my website. Well. Yeah, I'll be in uh, I'll be Australia. There. Yeah, I'll be in at Australia. Some stage. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, okay. Let's not lock in too many details. Yeah, let's not. Yeah. Uh, Get bogged down. This has been excellent. Oh, thank you. Uh, It's an honor. If this is the first time that you've heard Jen, you could uh, listen to her podcast, I Seem Fun. (laughs) Maybe. Or you could listen to uh, her on my other podcast, Fofop. Start with Fofop. Easy in. Yeah. Okay, that's your little starter kit. Yeah. You started here if this is the first time. Then go to Fofop. Then go to Fofop. Then go to I Seem Fun. (laughs) Basically, this is a pyramid scheme. (laughs) 
Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, well, Jen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. It, thank you. I can be